This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. The show, Dr. Matt here. Your coach, your guide on the side. Appreciate Ben being with us. Second late, but with us nonetheless. Good hey. job turning on the microphones. Nice job. <laughs> Happy Kazoo Day. <laughs> I've been practicing. Nice. Have you been practicing? It's about time. The, the microphones, yeah. Today is National Fun at Work Day. So, boy, that's going to be a stretch. How are we going to do that? And Kazoo Day. Kazoo Day. You know, I haven't played a kazoo forever. Yeah. I need to get uh, I need to get a kazoo. It's also Blueberry Pancake Day. And get ready for the debate. The Trumpless Debate Day. That's, this is going to be a strange debate. I don't know. But you have a Trump date. A what? You have breaking news. What's a Trump you wanted, date? I don't know. I just made it up. Okay. I was like, eh. You wanted to share with us some breaking news. So... I, 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 Matt walks in. I've read something that I just barely found. Like, well, this is brand new information. This is yeah. new right now. And instantly I tell Matt, just wait. I'll tell you. We're going on the air in like five seconds. He opens his computer was, and he starts guessing. It was I'm about like, a minute. Just stop it. Just, just, I, just, you know, self-control. Things that you talk about on your own show. Control yeah. your impulse. <laughs> wait a second. I'll okay. tell you what this okay. is. Well, so get to it. So we know Trump. Says he's not going to. It's not going to be on. And of course, I push a button and my phone changes. So he's not going to be there. Right. But he says. But his wife will. What? I don't know. No, he says there's two other candidates that called him last night and says they want to join him at his event. Well, we know not, who they are. Who's that? It's the, it's the kids' table. I, we don't know who it is. I'm going to bet it's the kids' table. Who? Who would you get? That's what I'm asking. I, Carly he Fiorina. He says there's two more. Two Carly more Fiorina so and Carly, whoever. And why would Carly go hang out with Trump? Because she'll get exposure, at more exposure at Trump than Don't being Don't you remember the, the, the what's wrong other... with her face comment? That It's not verbatim, but that's basically what he said. What's wrong with her face? Oh, well, he didn't mean it that way. That's what he said. <laughs> but don't you think it's the people in the undercard debate? That, that, that would be Why wouldn't logical. they want to go to Iowa and be in the great spotlight? Yeah, so he said he, – I don't know where he said this, so I'll have to look at it some more. But all of a sudden he comes in and goes, wow, two candidates called last night and said they want to join me at my event. I don't believe that. <laughs> he can just say things. He like can he, say anything he wants. Yesterday he was saying that Fox News was cutting the advertising rates to all the people who were sponsoring right. the debate. And what is Fox saying? And Fox – no, no, we're no not. one's cutting debates. No, no advertisers are leaving. But, right. but he just says things. With, you know, I mean, and you can believe yeah. it or not, just no. he's, I don't know. Um, it seems fun. That's why I enjoy this. The headline on chaos. the Huffington Post says, uh, Fox fiasco O'Reilly begs Trump. I wa- Did you see that interview? Mm-mm. I watched it at my desk. Is he begging? You want to watch two guys that are almost exactly the same talk yeah. to each other? Yeah. There you go. They're both from Jersey. They <laughs> both have that sort of same in your face, do right. what you want sort right. of attitude. And uh, yeah, he kept. Well, that's right. He, Sir, was, he was like even saying, you know, wouldn't shouldn't you turn the other cheek? Yeah, he was. You're Christian, right? Right. You profess this, that, that, and he goes, 
you're, you're going eye for an eye, and it should be turned the other cheek. And he goes, no, 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 you know. Yeah. <laughs> so it was kind of this trying to guilt him into going. And they, I, uh, I get an email every night. There's a, a television critic that works for CNN. He goes through every he, night. And he emails you personally. No, there's a huge email he sends out. But it's like, okay. this is what happened in TV today. We're talking like news and the, the business of TV, and he's, he was talking about how he's watching this 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 interview on O'Reilly with with Donald Trump, and it's amazing that Trump is just bashing mm. Megyn Kelly. I know, and O'Reilly, Fox News employee, doesn't say anything in doesn't her defense, defend her honor. and she is literally an hour away from her show being on the same channel. Her show follows yeah, this show. interview. And nothing said in her defense other than, ah, just forget about that. Let's move on. Yeah. You know, and it was just kind of, and I watched it, and it was kind of weird. You'd, you'd think at least he would, I'm not, she doesn't need to be defended. Do you but you'd think he would say something like, come on, she's a nice person, hey, leave her yeah. alone. Right. Kind of, nothing. nothing. None of that whatsoever. But do you remember when Fox News used to be, it used to like unite the conservatives? Well, it was a di- it was a different America then, Matt. <laughs> it totally it's, it's a different country. That now. was uh, PT, we call it, pre-Trump. Now we have our establishment Republicans, and I guess the and then we, well, people we have who follow conservative Trump. Republicans, and then we have Trumpsters. I heard someone call them Sam's Club Republicans. Oh, <laughs> that's good. You yeah. can buy in bulk. Yeah. So I I don't know what that means. I don't either. They, they uh, when he made his Fifth Avenue comment the other day, where he could, where Trump said he could walk out, shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue, and people would still yeah. vote for him. Somebody said, "Well, nobody on Fifth Avenue would vote for you." Your voters are all at Times Square. See, have you heard? Um, have you heard? So we're 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 throwing classism into now, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's why this is crazy. Have you heard though? Really, what some of the scuttle is in very small groups? I think up in Oregon, in the I, I heard it in on the a, wilderness. I heard it in a live feed <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> but maybe yeah, we were when we, we were sitting around. Yeah, there was a live feed that the. Uh, Occupiers, I guess you could yeah. call them, up in Oregon, Oregon. that wildlife mm-hmm. refuge. They had, they had their YouTube feed, and just they turn it on, and you hear people talking about what they're doing. Whatever, they're, out there, yeah. they're digging holes and just sort of milling around. And I heard that you know a couple of weeks before Trump decided to run, he had had a conversation with Mr. Clinton, President Clinton. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was that was brought up. Towards the end, the beginning of all this. I yeah. know. So, so many think he's he's, he's, he's already made a deal. He's in collusion with the the yeah. Clinton campaign. Uh-huh. And what's the deal? The deal is, is he gonna drop either out? he's going to win and okay. be president, or be the fall guy, and Hillary's going to be the president, and Trump gets whatever Trump wants. Hmm. So Trump's going to go in, just mow down the the Republicans. And then he's just going to kind of rope a dope and fall off, and Maybe. Hillary's going to win, or or they'll unleash the Kraken. Okay, they know <laughs> something. They have something on Trump. I don't know, but that's that's what they were talking about around the backhoe. Yeah, the, this video they were, they was, were digging a they were digging they a trench. Have, they had an ex- excavator, and they're just digging holes. Now we have a construction crew outside oh, our building fantastic. here. We see them every mm-hmm. day. Yeah. We see experts mm-hmm. at using this heavy equipment. Oh yeah, these guys really didn't know what they were doing. Oh. No, they, and we hadn't. There was no explanation as to why they were digging holes. They're if, just, in fact, we got to talk about that because uh, the the Bundys that kind of started the whole thing, the found the Ammon and uh, Jocko, what's his name? Um, Ryan, Henry, Jimmy, brother, Jimmy. brother of Ammon. 
they got arrested, and that's when one of uh, their posse was shot and killed. Yes. And um, which stirred the pot a lot. But now the Bundys are telling everybody back at the ranch, go home. We're done. Party's over. Yeah. But I'm not sure they'll get the message. No. I don't believe so. Because, yeah. It's, it's, if, it's just the most interesting insight into a standoff. In fact, when you were talking to our first guest this morning, I'm yeah. going to go check the live feed, see what's going yeah, on. Yeah, do see if anything's happening. <laughs> I mean, I, by the way, our first guest is uh, Keith Vorkink, who is um, a professor here at Brigham, uh, Brigham Young University, and he is going to be talking to us about oil. You know, you'd think it's a good deal. I went and I put uh, gas in my car, $1.79 a gallon. Like I was in heaven. Driving into work. Yeah. Just down the street from the, the studios here, dollar seventy three. Oh, I got ripped off. And then as you get closer to the, the buildings here, it's a dollar eighty something. Yeah. They're jacking up the like, price. It was like four miles away from each other. Or but do you remember when it was three fifty? Yes. So a dollar seventy five, let's say, it should be a really good thing for everybody. It well, apparently For the it's consumer. Not. It's the consumer's loving it, but businesses are struggling a lot. So we're going to talk about the impact of oil prices on on our financial markets. Um, th- there might be a, a bigger negative impact than we think. We'll be getting to, to him in just a few minutes. But before we do that, Terry, let's get to the headlines. What else is going on around the rest of the world? Thanks, Matt. As we were talking about in Oregon, three more men were arrested Wednesday in connection to the occupation at the Oregon Federal Wildlife Refuge, the FBI said in a statement early this morning. Authorities established a series of checkpoints in and around the area before eight people left the refuge last night. Of those eight, five people were released. Three were arrested without incident. All three were in contact with the FBI and opted to surrender, the statement said. The FBI said three men faced felony charges of conspiracy to impede officers. This after Emmon Bundy, through his lawyer, told the remaining followers to stand down. So we'll see what happens as that develops. Republican presidential frontrunner Donald Trump announced Wednesday his special event to rival the Fox News hosted debate Thursday evening that he is currently boycotting titled Donald J. Trump Special Event to Benefit Veteran Organizations. It's kind of a wordy title, but, you know, yeah. they're working on a, on a t- short timeline. The event's scheduled for 5 p.m. Central at the uh, at Drake University in Des Moines, Iowa. Admission is free. Oh, good. So they'll take donations probably. Kentucky Senator Rand Paul, as we talked about yesterday, he is ecstatic that Donald Trump is not part of the debate. Maybe he's the one that called Because he is now in the, the main debate. Table, oh, that's right. right. So he comes up from the the, to the big table, the JV squad, and he had this to say on Fox News. I feel like I've got a double win. I'm in the main debate, and I don't have to put up with Donald Trump. <laughs> I really don't think he's added much of substance. I don't think he's really a conservative, somebody who's been for a single payer system, somebody who was for the bailout of the big banks. I don't think anything about that is conservative. So I'm really kind of shocked that he does have significant numbers in the polling, and I wonder if it's really going to be accurate. Paul said of Trump's absence, he added that he's really looking forward to it. Yeah. He's looking forward to the absence. I am so excited he's not here. <laughs> President Obama called Tuesday for the rapid development of tests, vaccines, and treatments to fight the Zika virus, a mosquito-borne illness quickly spreading through the Americas that is uh, predicted to reach the United States and may already have. I believe there may, may have been a case in Arkansas. Oh, boy. There's one in Hawaii, I believe, but those people came from other countries here. They weren't here. And but it res- only impacts kids, huh? Apparently, it only it only impacts uh, children, but, but in, like, uh, 
in utero type oh, thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. So a mother's pregnant gets gets uh, gets infected, and it, it causes a birth defect. Shrunken. Oh, no. the, the heads are not formed right. They're too small on the babies. Causes some uh, some issues that way. Researchers at the University of Texas Medical Branch in Galveston tell BBC News they could have a working vaccine in a year or two, but that getting regulatory approval to use it on humans could take another eight to ten years. Oh boy! So this could uh, a virus for eight to ten years. So mosquito abatement is really really the way to stop it. They're saying, and but. probably countries in Africa are being more impacted. And well, so far just Central America. It's oh, coming my out heavens. of the. The, the rainforest type areas. scary. Um, also yesterday, the CIA highlighted a few items from its recently declassified collection of UFO-related documents Excellent. that it thought both skeptics and believers will find interesting. The docs for believers range from transitions, uh, translations of foreign UFO-related articles to memos admitting there were a few that the CIA just could not explain. Overall, the documents which date from the 1940s to the 1990s show a fairly earnest effort to explain UFOs, which if they existed, would be of as much interest to the CIA as anyone else. So f- articles written by foreign countries yes. have been translated. I was thinking foreign planets. No, this is just earthbound okay. information. Now, yeah. I believe this is all just a marketing campaign because, of course, there's an X-Files miniseries going on. That, <laughs> even though it's pretty bad, I've been yeah. enjoying it. So yeah. What are you going to do? Well, that's um, <laughs> at least you got X-Files in there. It's just marketing. It's all marketing, folks. Okay, good stuff. Thank you, Terry. We are um, going to take a break. When we come back, we'll be joined by Dr. Keith Vorkink, who is a professor here at Brigham Young University. Um, He's the associate dean at the Marriott School of Management here. He's going to be walking us through why low oil prices might not be such a good thing for the the economy and for our markets. Stick with us, folks. Trying to understand uh, oil when we come back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, lately, filling up your car with gas hasn't left your wallet feeling totally depleted, has it? But uh, while U.S. prices have dropped, oil prices have dropped to about $27 a barrel, a price not seen since 2003, not everyone is reveling in this plummet. Many experts are weary of the uh, implications that such low oil costs is going to be having on our economy. And with the stock market having its worst beginning in history, we may need to be more cautious of what this all means. Joining us today is Dr. Keith Vorkink, who's an associate dean at the Marriott School of Management here at Brigham Young University. Dr. Vorkink is a professor of finance and uh, is here to talk to us about how our oil prices are affecting our economy and how the backlash in other countries may influence. Dr. Vorkink, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, glad to be here. Thank you for uh, inviting me to come on. You bet. Great to have you. Now, it seems it seems counterintuitive to me that, I mean, I thought oil prices dropping was good for everybody. More people out driving around, maybe more money in our pockets. Talk to me about why oil dropping is, is maybe not positive for the economy. Well, I, I think your your initial intuition is probably one that that most most of us would have uh, it, it, it is that uh, when oil prices go down, consumers uh, across the economy have a little bit more money to spend because yeah. they spend less money at the gas pump. 
if you live down in Texas and you work for an oil producing company, you may have a different perspective because it it, Im- it may impact the profits that your you know that your company is able to generate, and perhaps even the the likelihood that you maintain employment at that company. That's true, huh? Uh, so that would be Texas, like North Dakota, any kind of oil producing state. That's right. State in the U.S. or country in the world, right, where you're sort of a net oil producer as opposed to consumer, uh, that's not good for those those companies, those individuals. But in aggregate, uh, a lower cost to an important input would make the economy better off. Hmm. And if – I mean, because this is really a a global problem now. Uh, Talk to us just about what – who – and what determines the actual price of uh, per barrel? Well, it's a it is a market, and so you know we'd go back to our uh, sort of introductory economics of supply and demand. Uh, and I think uh, you know historically, or or sort of previous to this decline in in oil prices, where it traded at about a hundred dollars per barrel. Uh, what's changed is is perhaps more of a supply story uh, than a demand story. And I think the, the, the supply story comes from, one, uh, U.S. is producing uh, more oil in new ways than we used to. The shale oil production in the Midwest has uh, significantly increased the U.S. production of oil. Uh, and uh, uh, the Middle East... Uh, has uh, also increased their production. Hmm. Uh, even just uh, you know, in the last couple of weeks, uh, Iran, which has had sanctions placed uh, on them because of uh, issues around uh, n- nuclear uh, restrictions by the uh, current president's administration, those have been lifted. They're going to con- uh, add production to it. Saudi Arabia, sort of the leader of the OPEC. Uh, nations has has stated that they're going to continue to uh, to produce at high levels, and there's just a large supply uh, of oil relative to the demand on the market, and so the price has to go down. Is now OPEC used to? It seems like control that by their production, or they would diminish production to kind of keep the, the I guess the the cost per barrel inflated. Is what's what's I guess breaking that up. What's stopping that? That's a good question, uh, and there's a lot of speculation around. Uh, you know, why has uh, why hasn't uh, OPEC restricted supply? Uh, some would argue that uh, they're uh, trying to uh, drive some producers out of the market hmm. who can't produce at the sort of low cost that the Middle East can. And, you know, targets of that include Russia and even the shale production of oil in the U.S. So by dropping the costs, it, it puts these people out. They can't make – it's not affordable for them to keep right. producing. In, in the short run, they may be able to continue to produce oil. Uh, but in the long run, when you have to make more significant capital investments to sustain production, they may not have the the, the revenues, the money to, to continue production. Huh. So, you know, it's hard. You know, what's happening is consistent with that story. It's hard to know if it, that's exactly behind the the motivation for for them keeping their production level right. high. And I guess, I guess, is the investment like for for the American companies in the Midwest that are that are into the shell? 
the investment's just too high and the money's floating that they can't they can't like just tone it down a bit or bring it down for a couple of years until the I mean, is is it just too expensive to keep bringing it up and down? I think what they've decided, at least in the short term, so there's been a lot of layoffs in the, in the Midwest in shale ore production. I right. think we're down, you know, several hundred thousand dollars, several hundred thousand workers in that production. The production's actually maintained a relatively steady level. They've been more efficient. And I think it's, uh, again, a bit of a short-term perspective that it's still profitable huh. to bring the oil up and and sell, and they'll do it until, uh, you know, they run out of money to sort of keep paying the production or prices go back up. Okay. I mean, it's really a, it's, it's a big chess match, isn't it? Yes. I mean, because you've also got Russia involved. You have yeah. this weird relationship that's already, you know, stressed between Saudi Arabia and Iran. Right. And now they're both going to be injecting and playing that. But it's, I think I read somewhere that OPEC had dropped 300000 no, $300 billion in revenue this year, yeah, last so year. That's right. So a lot of these uh, uh, OPEC Middle Eastern countries have very large reserve funds. Uh, you know, Saudi Arabia is uh, maybe as many as five to seven hundred billion dollars wow. that they can tap into to sort of help sustain, uh, you know, their economy uh, it, with oil prices this low. Mm. Uh, how long can they do that? They can't do it, you know, forever. That sounds like a large amount of money, but a country can can sort of burn through that money relatively quickly, but it's at least allowing them to operate uh, this strategy in the short run. And and where does this go? I mean, I guess I guess it would depend on who's driving it and what. I mean, if the market's just driving it, it seems like we were always hearing about China in great need of oil. Right. And so it just seems like they'd be sucking up this oil at vast quantities. Do you, yeah, I, so which would I keep told, demand up. That's right. I told I've told stories about supply. There is there is a demand effect in that uh, the I think the global economies have slowed. China's perhaps uh, as sort of the poster child of an economy that's sort of tempered its its growth, and so the demand for oil has also slipped mm. as well. In fact, uh, China now uh, is uh, is exporting. Oh boy! Uh, uh, wow. Oil and gas, it's more more of the refined products than sort of the, the, the raw crude oil, because of sort of lack of 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 use of it in in their own country. I mean, who'd have thunk this? I mean, do you remember back when the prices were going up and up, and and it was almost seemed like President Obama was trying to inflate the oil prices so we'd all buy more more effect, efficient cars, right? right. Um, I, I guess is this normal? Are we? In, is this just a normal kind of pattern? I don't. I don't think we would describe it as normal. I, I don't know if it's completely unprecedented. In the '80s, there was a. I, I wouldn't say the '80s is an exact parallel to what we're going through now, but there are s- some s- similarities. Uh, but I think uh, uh, you know things around uh, those parallels uh, are uh, indicating that this is a fairly unusual event. Wow. That uh, sort of this some level the stars have aligned. Uh, that has le- have led to this increase in supply, a reduction in demand, and a pretty significant temporary drop in 
in oil prices. Interesting stuff. Let's take a break. We're speaking with Dr. Keith Vorkink here from Brigham Young University. Again, he is the Associate Dean at the Marriott School of Management. And we'll be back, continue this discussion. I want to find out more about how this impacts the stock market. Is this part of the problem with why the stock market is having such a difficult start this year? Um, We'll find out more. Stick with us, folks. Learning about oil and uh, the influence on the markets. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Friends, to the Matt Townsend Show, we are talking about uh, oil prices and the effect that they have on the markets, uh, both in the United States and uh, abroad. It, there's so many countries now that are, are really being impacted, hit hard when you think about it, uh, simply because oil prices are dropping. We start producing um, oil from Shell in the Midwest and which is great you know we're we're becoming independent uh in our oil production as a country and uh almost seems like since then things have gotten crazy add on top of that Saudi Arabia add on top of that the fact that Iran can now bring a lot of oil in that Russia's still producing like crazy Venezuela's got oil uh it's 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 a big deal and apparently um we're not consuming uh, oil at the same amount uh that we were uh, for many years. Joining us on the phone, Dr. Keith Vorkink. He's the Associate Dean at the Marriott School of Management here at Brigham Young University. He's also a professor of finance, and he's just walking us through really what's going on with the economy and the impact from oil. Dr. Keith Vorkink, welcome back to the show. Uh, Good to be back. Talk to me about the market and the stock market. So worst start, I guess, we've had on the stock market ever in history is there a correlation between what's going on with the stock market and the oil prices? Well, well uh, it, there is a correlation. Uh, you know, the question is what's what's driving that correlation? Yeah. Uh, historically, uh, the stock market and oil prices are relatively unrelated. Their correlation uh, is, is about zero. But if you look at it since the beginning of the year, it's almost a one-for-one movement. Oh, wow. Oil prices go down. Stock market goes down. Oil prices go up. Stock market goes up. And I think that actually has a lot of people uh, puzzled. Uh, many people in my position and, and, and who are working in markets um, don't understand uh, what's driving this. Uh, and it may not be as causal as people uh, yeah. may want to think of it. It, it, it. There may be a correlation, but it could be that there's some other driver that's generating this, and it's not that oil prices are causing stock market prices to move. Just maybe uh, volatility? Could it just yeah. be the fear of it? I think there's a lot of uncertainty in the market. Yeah. We talked you know, before the break that this is a, a relatively unusual time. We're coming off of a financial crisis you know, not that many years ago. Interest rates are about zero. They're, you know, the, the Federal Reserve recently started to trend uh, their short-term interest rate up, but their interest rates are relatively uh, low. There was a lot of stimulus that was put into the economy to help recover from the financial crisis. And then we're hit with uh, sort of this oil price shock and sort of 
getting the calculus of all of those effects, I think, has a lot hmm. of people uh, uncertain. And I guess, I guess a lot of this, too, seems maybe a stronger correlation to what's going on in China. It, 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 that's definitely an, a, a factor in, yeah. in all of this is that, uh, you know, China has been uh, a, both uh, a producer of goods for the U.S. as well as a consumer of some of the goods that we make. And they're participating less because their economy is not as strong. And, uh, you know, trying – I would add one other factor in, in all of this. The dollar has become very strong which is impacting our ability to sell goods that we make here abroad, but it's also making goods that we buy abroad cheaper mm. and just trying to, again, put all of those pieces together uh, is creating a lot of volatility. Is, is there something about a global market? I mean, I guess, too, we always kind of go back to the 80s, but in the 80s, I mean, we had global markets, but it, it seems like but our global, our concept of global market is changing and and even and even expanding to maybe other countries and other areas that are significantly more volatile than they used to be. Yes, there's no question that that markets are more integrated now uh than they have been uh in history. And so uh the, the notion that an economy like the US which is the largest, right, uh right. By, by a fair margin in the world, but that we can sort of operate independent of what's happening abroad is uh, is just not true. Mm. And and it's not just China. Uh, many of what we call emerging economies, you know, countries that are, are, are not yet fully developed but growing, they've been struggling as well, in some measure tied to oil prices. Brazil's economy is, you know, in, in the tanks. Venezuela's is. Russia's on, in trouble. And, and the aggregate impact from the U.S. perspective of all of those countries is causing things to be risky and uncertain here as well. And and like you said earlier, I guess one, I mean, I mean, maybe OPEC or whatever, th- these people have the power or at least maybe potentially at times the goal to, imp- to bring down competitors, to eliminate their competitors. And in well, doing yes, so, you could eliminate you know, a country. Right. They're trying to make life, you know, the best for Saudi Arabia and, and they don't want a free market in the in in the purest sense in in their most important resource, which is oil, and so they'll behave strategically uh, to try to help out the economy of Saudi Arabia, even if that means hurting uh, you know other countries mm-hmm. in the process. And again, I guess who would have thunk it? Except you probably would have, well, uh, Doctor Vorkin. I mean, well, <laughs> but I the rest of us would never have thought of like independent America, independent of all of. The Middle East oil would be so upsetting, but it, there's a, we live in a system, don't we? We do. We do. And right. Uh, sometimes it's hard. We talk about you know, the sort of reaction effects of something. We, t- we tend to, to think of sort of the immediate impact, but in an economy where you have demand and supply and multiple participants, there's oftentimes uh, 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 other impacts that may not be calculated in, in, yeah. in a decision. Where do we go from here? I mean, I guess if we're going to predict, do, we, do you sense we get back to $90 a barrel someday? I, I, I do. I think uh, that, uh, you know, it, it, I guess it depends on the stability of, of, of OPEC. But uh, in the end, given the sort of degree of supply that they provide to the market, and how in the long run it makes sort of best sense for them 
to uh, have prices higher than they are now, I anticipate prices uh, going back up. You know, the question is when. Uh, I'm not going to put a strong uh, uh, stake in, in the ground about exactly when that happens. Yeah. Do, and can we do that? Does it, you know, can it stabilize and the United States keep their production up? Yeah, I mean, it's the shale production in the long run is more is more profitable at higher prices. Yeah, so we uh, we want it up, don't we? Yeah, for for those for those uh, in that industry. That's right. That's right. It, they, they're much more profitable, you know, if 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 prices get above seventy dollars a barrel, yeah, uh, than where they are now. It doesn't seem like good economics, but if we could keep it at about a dollar seventy five, but ninety dollars a barrel. It seems yeah. like everyone wins. Well, that that would definitely help the refiners and those yeah. that sort of bother buy the raw, raw product and figure that out. Right. If you can figure that out, Doctor Vorkink, we're into something. <laughs> we're going to be millionaires. Right, right. Well, we appreciate you. This is great insight. Thank you so much for joining us. Glad to join you. Appreciate it. Okay. Wow, really? I mean, it's so it's the system, isn't it? And it goes back to supply and demand, just as we learned in school. And all of a sudden, too, we're producing these cars. I've been looking at cars that you know, can get 38 miles per gallon, that's going to drive, you know, supply down. (sighs) How do we do it? This is why Ben chooses to just make ice cream. But Ben, same principles, supply and demand, but you won't have to mess with OPEC. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, he says. Hey, we're going to take a break, folks. Um, Come back and uh, do a little coach's corner when we come back. Uh, We're going to be talking about influencing the people around you. It's going to happen, right? If you stay and, and stick around people long enough, you're going to be an influence in their lives. But what kind of influence do you want to be? And uh, I'll be giving you some principles, some basic tools for how you can just gently, lovingly be an influence to others and especially help influence them to believe in themselves. Stick with us, folks. This is The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, we've uh, we've just been talking about oil and the markets. It's it's really probably a great lesson to go teach your kids, supply, demand, and what's going on in the marketplace with oil, going from 90-ish dollars a barrel down to $28, $30 a barrel. I mean, wow. It's enough to really to impact uh, you financially. In fact, apparently it, impact, it impacted one kid who recently, a six-year-old, sought an advance on his pocket money of $20 because toys he received, uh, uh, you know, because he needed to get his toys. But, you know, toys cost money. So he had to go and um, sent, he sent a letter to his dad, uh, actually the bank of dad, he called it. And uh, the dad then sent back an official response to his loan application. But the dad uh, actually rejected the loan application due to insufficient funds and a history of not doing his chores. Oh, come on! I know. The official rejection letter was shared on social media with the caption, Our six-year-old asked Dad for an advance on his allowance for a toy. This is the response he got. Here's the letter. After he rejected his son's application, the dad from St. Louis went on to explain that furthermore, 
Over $80 has been spent on discretionary entertainment expenses since Christmas. This is an unsustainable amount of expenditure, and we cannot further compound the problem by financially assisting with incurring further debt at this point. Thank you for choosing Dad Savings and Loan. We appreciate the chance to serve your financial needs. That is so great. However, the letter continued, should the child wish to dispute the decision, he is welcome to take it up with the complaints department. That is mom. What a great lesson for the kids. He had to file an application to uh, borrow $20. Rejected. Welcome to the big leagues, pal. Ah, no better place in life to influence somebody uh, than, you know, as a mom or a dad. One of the things I wanted to talk about in this Coach's Corner is um, some principles, some tools to help influence others. And especially, what if we could be a better source to influence um, our children or our friends and our kids and our neighbors and help them believe in themselves? When uh, my mother-in-law, I told you, recently passed away— and we just uh, had her funeral services, so many people would come up to me and talk about how she had helped them to to believe in themselves and how to be a better person. And story after story. And so it's really had my head spinning about how we get people to truly trust themselves and believe in themselves. Um, I've put together six principles that I found that help, uh, you know, help make it easier for people to truly see how amazing they are. Here they are, six principles um, to help other people believe in themselves. Principle number one, we've got to learn and make sure that we're validating a person's worth, not just their works, right? Meaning, I've got to make sure that I am clear with my children, with my friends, and be able to see that these people around me are, they already have infinite value. They are, they already have infinite worth. Their worth doesn't come from what they offer the world. Unlike the oil market, um, the worth of a soul is great and it'll stay great. It's going. People are going to stay valuable and of infinite worth as a, as a being. And I want my kids to know that. So I try to validate the fact that their value doesn't change. Just because of what they're doing and they're not doing or how much money they earn or what degrees they have or or what have you. It's not our worth does not come from our works. Doesn't mean our works can't be great and it doesn't mean it, they can't impact us financially. But every human being is of infinite worth. Um and I believe I believe that. And if we can't get people the people around us to see that they are of worth, then they're not going to have self-worth. So our goal with teaching people that they are of worth and of value regardless of what their works are, it's it's going to be a lack of self-worth if they don't understand that. And so you got to be careful that you're not always making everything about the touchdown. You're not always making everything about their looks or their body or their fame or their money. You've got to focus on the fact that they have all of these other attributes, these other gifts, these other values, which is probably one reason why, uh, you know, people that are religious they can make that argument pretty easily because, you know, God loves you. God created you. And so do you believe it? Think about it yourself. And who in your life spent a lot of time helping you understand your worth? There's, it's, it's invaluable. That's the first principle. Validate the, the people you want to influence. Validate their worth, 
not just their works. Spend more time talking about how it wouldn't be the same without you here. It wouldn't have been as it wouldn't have been as fun without your you know your your presence in this dinner or whatever. And and be real with people. Another principle that I love is to encourage other people by understanding them, which inspires what I call self-expression, right? So we want our kids and our family and our loved ones to have self-worth. We also want them to have self-expression. The best way to encourage somebody to express is to listen. The best way to encourage somebody um, is to understand what drives their heart. The word encouragement has the root word courage in it. And courage comes from a Latin word, which means cur, which uh, means core, or the French word cur, which means um, heart. So to encourage somebody, you've got to get into their heart. And the only way into someone's heart is listening, paying attention, be present and understand what's going on with them. Instead of just, you know, when they make a comment like, this class is hard, don't just start lecturing about, you don't even know what hard is, buddy. Don't go there. Instead, talk to me. What do you mean hard? Why is this so hard for you? And then listen. Listen to what their dreams are. Listen to what their concerns are. What are their beliefs? What are their fears? The more you allow people to express, the more they can express their feelings and their understanding of self. One of the fastest ways for people to understand who they are is to be able to have someone close to them make it uh, allowable to express themselves. I've learned more about myself by just talking to others and hearing who I am as I go through a conversation. So encourage them and others by understanding them. Another principle is to shine your light on their strengths, which inspires self-awareness. Many people are just sitting in the dark. They don't have any clue what their true great inner strengths are. They don't, they don't recognize what, how powerful their discipline is. My wife is the most disciplined person. When she wants, when she puts her mind to something, it's over. And that is an incredible strength. She may feel like she doesn't have, you know, these outward strengths that everyone pays attention. She can't sing solos or whatever, but her strength inside of discipline, it's powerful. So what if, if we wanted to inspire people, we could just learn to shine our light on their strengths? Point out your children's strengths. Not just their physical strengths, not just their musical strengths, not just their study strengths. Point out their other principle or their other strengths like integrity, their, their um, discipline, their um, compassion, their sensitivity. Those are strengths that uh, can truly carry them. And the more we shine our light on them, the more it will enable our child or person that we care about to become more self-aware. Notice their character. Notice their, their abilities, their gifts. Another principle is to pinpoint progress. One of the fastest ways to help somebody learn to, um, to accept their own life, accept what's going on in their life, is to make sure that they can see the progress that's going on. Many of us are very negatively minded and driven, and we tend to only focus on what we're not doing, what's not working for us. So what if, as an outsider, you could start pointing out where people are progressing it's easier sometimes for the outsider to see a little bit of progress than maybe the person that's in the race every day. So when you see somebody progressing, point it out. When you see somebody share a talent and you haven't seen them for a year and that you see that they've improved in the talent, go talk about their improvement. Pinpoint their performance that's working it, that's making it better. 
Another principle is to make it safe for people to stretch. That builds self-confidence. We've all like been up to bat at some point in our lives and terrified because you know 30 parents are watching us and we're so afraid and we don't feel safe, so we don't risk. We're not as aggressive as maybe we need to be. And you can see that and someone's self-confidence just fall maybe because somebody didn't make it safe. Ask yourself, are you somebody that makes it safe to fail or do you make it intolerable? Nobody's going to fail around you. It's got to be safe to fail or people aren't going to try. And safety means they've got to be physically safe around you. They've got to be socially safe so they're not embarrassed, emotionally safe so they can be emboldened, financially safe so they, you know, the, the decisions they make don't ruin everything financially. And they've got to be connected um, to us. Interesting. One more point is consistently champion their courage. When you see somebody exercising courage or doing something that takes courage, highlight it. Highlight it because that will eventually inspire these people to be more self-directing. Too many people are taking their cues from the rest of the world instead of being self-directed, letting their own conscience guide them. So you want more self-direction? Then you have to encourage courage. Foster it by pointing it out. When you see somebody stand up to a bully, when you see somebody, you know, do something that's hard, point it out. When you see somebody battling a battle, point out their courage. And in the end, it'll influence them and they'll believe in themselves. Self-direction, self-confidence, self-acceptance, self-awareness, self-expression, and self-worth. That's it. Basic stuff, isn't it? But man, it's, it matters. And every one of us can think of somebody in our lives that have influenced us in those ways. We're going to take a break, folks. That's hour number one of the Matt Townsend Show. Again, we can't do it without you. So stick with us. We'll be back in a few minutes with a whole new show, another hour, more fun, more interesting insights. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. This is the show where we give you the information you need to uh, live a healthier, happier life. We'll give you the news. We'll kind of go off of some of the headlines. But in reality, you're the one that has to do all the work. You know, everyone advertises, but you're the one that has to lift the load. That's just how it works, folks. Today we'll be talking about procrastination. Now, I know you don't have that problem, but the people around you, I'm sure, do. That's how it works in my world. I don't procrastinate anything, but everybody around me does. Except Terry. I'm always on it. You're always on it. I have like 15 calendars to keep me on time, scheduled, ready to go. That sounds horrible. Yeah, it's kind of over the top. It's way over the top. Um, got a great show. So we'll be talking about uh, solving the procrastination puzzle with Dr. Tim Pitchell, who really is an expert uh, in the study of procrastination, not an expert procrastinator. That's Ben's job. Ben, are you a procrastinator? Um, it depends on the day, actually. Some days I'm really, really focused, and other days I just can't do it. Hmm. 
I find it, it it all depends on the likability or the probability that I'm going to accomplish the task. Oh, really? So you you're, you go very positively. It depends on if you're going to accomplish it. Yeah. Then you're more driven. It it doesn't have to do with if I want to do it or not. It's yeah. am I going to succeed at this? Oh, see, mine's totally different. I only mine's all about am I going to get in trouble or get killed. Okay, well, I, that's more of a success failure. That's type. more. So I go more to the failure side. Okay, the fear of embarrassment, failure, dismemberment, what have you. I mean, if you procrastinate some things too long, you know, like that leaky faucet, procrastinate that bad boy. You know, the whole second floor could collapse. Right, that'll kill you. That's why I don't wait for that. Or changing the lead pipes. Yeah, see, great point. Back to Flint, Michigan. They've procrastinated it. Now it's an emergency. See, that's the thing. If you wait long enough, it will become an emergency. Speaking of emergencies, they must not have taken good enough care of Donald Trump because he's not going to show up. No. I came in like a He's single-handedly destroying the Republican debate tonight. Except... A lot of people, like uh, Rand Paul, thinks this is fantastic. He loves it. It opens the door for him. He can get into the uh, the main debate. And I, I would just suggest He's not to everybody, get <laughs> you can you can do whatever you want tonight. But I, can I just suggest go hear what all of the other candidates are saying too? This is a great time to hear everyone else and see who takes the seat of Trump. I wonder how that's going to work. Well, Ted Cruz will be in the middle. Well, I mean, yeah, but who's going to take the role? Are they going to just beat him up without Ted him there? Ted Cruz is now the target. Yeah. He's the he's the front runner that's at the debate, so he's well, the Ted target. Cru- you mean well, Theodore Cruz? Theodore. Well, the uh, the interesting thing was how much will uh, Donald Trump be brought up? Yeah. How much will the other candidates talk about Donald Trump? I mean, how much influence will he have when he's not even in the room? Right. And then in the next morning when he's on every single morning show, because they'll call and he'll say, yeah, sure. And he goes on and he'll just critique what everyone said. And so he owns – will he own the conversation at the debate and the conversation after? He has it before, obviously. Yeah. So he just – he's not even there and he's going to run well, this thing media Or will he just own the entire thing because he's having his own event? Yeah. And the media is going to be split. They'll have to go to that event instead of being at the debate. Well, do we know – but is anyone covering it live? Has anybody agreed to cover his event no, live but, at the same time? Um, no, but you, you can probably see split screens going on, and you know what I mean. Yeah. When Trump gets up to talk, maybe they cut and let let it, let him come it, in as the debate continues. This is going to get crazy because this also could create a war between the media companies. You you could get counter programming. It's uh-huh. on Fox, CNN runs with the Trump. Because yeah, there's probably a respect that says okay, because we all do these together, we won't counter program to the point of ruining your debate if you don't counter program and ruin our debate. Gloves but, off, go for it. But MSNBC's the one, or yeah, is that or NBC's NBC. the one? Yeah, it's already been out, ousted, so they have no loyalties to the uh, Republicans. <laughs> oh, so. That's the thing. This is where Donald is really, I think, brilliant. Is you know, pitting people against each other, which makes a better supposed deal. It's probably I think that's page forty four in the Art of the Deal Maker. Is that what, what's the name of his book? Uh, Art of the Deal. Art of the Deal. Art of the Deal. Um, okay. Anyway, so watch out for that today. Anything else going on around the world? There are uh, as uh, Ammon Bundy 
and his attorney share a message to armed occupiers still at the Oregon refuge. He says, I'm asking the federal government to allow the people at the refuge to go home without being prosecuted, Bundy said in a statement. Uh, To those remaining at the refuge, I love you. Uh, Let us take this fight from here. Please stand down. Please go home and hug your families. This fight is ours for now in the courts. Please go home. Wow. So, is so wow. I mean, yeah. it doesn't seem like this was how no. they wanted it to go. The FBI, after the uh, Lavoie, whatever his name was, the, 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 the gentleman yeah. that was shot, after he was shot, the FBI had this to say. Instead, these individuals have chosen to threaten and intimidate the America they profess to love. Mm. So... You know, they, they, they said the FBI said we've given them plenty of opportunity for yeah. an entire month. We told them from day one, go home, go home. And then that incident happened as they arrested them. Earlier Wednesday, some of the militia members still at the refuge used YouTube to try to recruit supporters with one saying on a live stream, you can fight for your country right here in America. Get here, get some. This hit, this is history in the making. There are no laws in this United States now. He then recommends that if uh, federal officials try to stop a person from entering the refuge, they should, quote, kill them. Wow. That was a part of the live feed that I didn't see, but... Well, I mean, it seems like maybe some of the more reasonables have are out. Maybe the ones, yeah, I'm going to go home now. We're done. But maybe there's some diehards that are well, still Well, and there's the guy with the backhoe that's having too much fun. The guy with the backhoe that's going crazy. So Check it out on the live feed. With Donald Trump reportedly choosing to abstain from tonight's debate on Fox uh, because of the selection of Megyn Kelly as a moderator, an onslaught of sexist rage has been directed at Kelly's official Twitter account. A website called Evocative broke down the appearance of gender slurs in the tweets directed at Kelly finding that the word bimbo appeared 404 times in her mentions in the past 24 hours, followed by 128 uses of blonde, usually referring to dumb blonde. But any, but he, I didn't say she was a bimbo. Yeah. So he just says that oh, she's not good man. at her job. That's ruthless. A super PAC supporting Ted Cruz said Wednesday they would donate $1.5 million to military veteran charities if Donald Trump agrees to face the Texas senator in a one-on-one debate. Insult me to my face. Keep the promise. The group of super PACs supporting Cruz released a statement pledging to donate after Cruz challenged Trump to the separate debate. This money is in addition to the millions of proceeds available to the veterans as a share of the revenues that this debate would secure from the host network, according to a press release. On Wednesday, Trump announced he was skipping the Fox News debate to host his own benefit for veterans in Iowa. Cruz said he has sent an official request to Trump to debate at Western Iowa Tech, a community college in Sioux City, on or before January 31st. Wow. You had a theory that this was Donald's way of avoiding Cruz. Cruz, yes. I mean, that could be very real. They're really close in the polls. This way he doesn't have to... Address it, but he can look like he's fighting the media, which is his followers like him to fight the media, even though the media is the one conservative media outlet that's out there that everybody that's conservative tends to like, I guess. They um, so so people will pay like a million and a half dollars to the veterans if Donald will debate Mr. Cruz. Right. Pretty cool. And then according to some investigative reporting, that said charity may or may not may, may or may not use it to fly their entire staff from Jacksonville, Florida <laughs> to Colorado for team building. What's interesting though is that <laughs> he, they may, would probably earn more money in that one debate yeah. than Donald may earn tonight. Right. I think I would watch a Ted Cruz that Trump debate more than huge. you know the rest think, of the conference. And I think it'd be also cool if they could mix it with a little mixed martial arts. 
could. They could have little, little, don't you think? Little undercard. I mean, why action. is an MMA in on this? Anyway. The World Health Organization has set up an emergency committee to address what it calls the explosive spread of Zika, a virus that has been linked to birth defects and infected people in at least 22 countries. WHO Director General Margaret Chan said it is deeply concerning that the virus is so widespread so quickly and anticipates between 3 and 4 million cases in the, in the Americas alone. There is no vaccine or cure for Zika, Chan added. The level of alarm is extremely high. Arrival of the virus in some cities have been associated with a steep increase in birth of babies with abnormally small heads. Mm. It's a birth, it, it causes birth defects. It doesn't really affect adults, but you know, uh, pregnant yeah. women are very susceptible to the uh, situation here. So, mm. um, In other news, DeLoreans. Do you know yes. what DeLorean is? Uh, the car DeLorean? Yes. The old the family? From Back to the Future. Right. They are back, apparently. They're headed back into production in Humble, Texas, and it'll be the first time the iconic car will be manufactured on American soil. It's fantastic. It's a game changer for all of us, says the DeLorean CEO, Stephen Wynn. Wynn notes that he has got enough parts to put together about 300 cars, and although he anticipates initial output to be just one car a month, he's hoping to step that up to one a week. The first car is slated to be finished by early 2017. The anticipated price for one of these future throwbacks, Woody, how much do you think it's going to cost? I'll go with a hundred grand. Forty-five to fifty thousand for a refurb. Wow! And a vague less than one hundred grand for a new model. But the problem is. It's still like 80s technology. It is. It's a car. I think it's is it titanium they made it out of. It's all just metal. Yeah. And then you just you have the gull wings, and it's like you need the Wi-Fi, you need the backup cameras, well, you, you need want safety. the computer systems that are in today's cars. But apparently, it's a vintage car, so you got to make it real. Vintage yeah. cars don't have any of the safety devices we have today. How about the flux capacitor? I don't know, Mister Fusion. It's questionable <laughs> on Mister Fusion, so we'll. Yeah, I shouldn't have even done that. Probably, because... probably the upgrades for Back to the Future Two will not be an option. Yeah, no, so maybe someday, but at the moment, probably not an add-on option at this. Point. Well, for now, yeah, maybe some cup holders. You don't know, but, but this is—you know—this is going to take off eventually. There will be a whole new DeLorean line because where we're going, we don't need roads. That's right. I tell that to my wife. I put on my glasses and we drive. She thinks it's stupid. As you drive away in your minivan, <laughs> we do not need roads. We don't need roads. Anywho, good stuff, Terry. Well done. Um, let's uh, take a break, folks. When we come back, Dr. Tim Pitchell will be joining us. Solving the procrastination puzzle. Are you a procrastinator? Because if you are, it's time to buckle in, folks. We are going to be talking to uh, to an expert, full-blown pro in the research and study of procrastinators. Interesting, interesting segment coming up next. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. few minutes what's the worst thing if you hit the snooze three four five times do you sometimes feel like a professional procrastinator you just have a strange knack for putting things off sidestepping responsibility leaving it all until next week hmm well you're definitely not alone some researchers say that procrastination has more than doubled in the last 30 years 
So how do we get out of the rut of procrastination? Our guest today, Dr. Tim Pitchell, author of Solving the Procrastination Puzzle, joins us now from Ottawa, Canada, to give us some tips on beating the procrastination bug. Dr. Tim Pitchell, welcome to the show. Yeah, good morning, Matt. Good to have you back. This is um, one of my favorite subjects, sadly. It is mine, too. For 20 years, it's been my favorite subject. I know, but you don't procrastinate, do you? Actually, I, I kind of don't anymore. It's, wow. Uh, yeah, I know. It's, I it's envy not you. because it's any virtue on my part. It's because these strategies are sort of ingrained in me, and I can't. I have no wiggle room. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and plus everybody's now watching you. Right? Well, there's some truth in that, especially my children. It's yeah. hard to live with doctor procrastination. You know what? I was looking at your Facebook page. You're a musher, too. I am. I've been running dogs for as many years as I've been running, well, even longer than I have been studying procrastination. That's amazing. I mean, I guess, too, that's that's an interesting little hobby because you can't procrastinate your dog on your dogs, right? I mean, they'll die. Well, that's it, and I have horses as well. If I told you what what I do between five thirty in the morning and eight thirty in the morning, you'd think I was done for the day. <laughs> it's it's pretty scheduled, but you know, at the same time, it's what it's it's driven by my values. So, as much as some of these things are chores, like moving manure or picking up dog droppings, it's all part of things that matter to me. Hmm. So, I mean, and that's I guess that's that's a great motivator, right? Your value system should be, I guess, your your consistent anchor. That's a really important point you've made. It doesn't mean I always feel motivated. Like, I really don't like this. It's really cold up here. Well, it's not oh, actually I bet. cold right now. It's below freezing, at least, and we've got lots of snow on the ground, not as much as we typically do. So for me to pick up horse droppings around the barn and I try to keep that area clean, I have to scrape them first with a shovel and then pick them up with a fork. I do not enjoy it. Ugh. There's no way I feel motivated ever. And so I have to use all of the strategies that I've learned from my research and write about to be able to do that. And, of course, once I do it, it, it really primes the pump for feeling good. But don't imagine for a minute that I walk around in a hyper state of motivation. I don't. And I think that's kind of one of the myths that we all walk around with is that I have to feel like it. That's why I love the song you started with. Yeah. I don't feel like I don't want to. Yeah, that's the whole story. I mean, we could stop the interview right now. Yeah, so we're done. That's the story of procrastination. We have that six-year-old in us that says, I don't want to. I don't feel like it. <laughs> I don't it. feel like it. Yeah. But it's true. And it. so what? You don't you don't feel like picking up the droppings, and you do it because you have a higher purpose, I guess. Well, maybe. I think that I also just have these little strategies by saying, well, okay, I do want the droppings picked up. If I didn't have that commitment to it, I could let them pile up. But then there are costs to that, like the springtime would be a mess. And so sooner or later, you pay the price. So I do right. know that. But so I'm walking out to the barn, and I could say to myself, oh, I, I won't pick them up today. I'll pick them up tomorrow. I'll feel more like a tomorrow. That's just the common saying. And I'm never going to feel like it. I never feel like picking up those droppings. So it's always the question of, okay, if I was going to pick up the droppings, what would I have to do right now? Well, on my way into the paddock, I need to grab that wheelbarrow. I can do that. I can grab the wheelbarrow. Hmm. You see, I'm, I'm just taking baby steps towards it. So then I bring the wheelbarrow into the paddock and I bring some sweet feet out for the horses and I walk some hay over the pasture. And I like that. I have to say, I like the walk over to the pasture. And then I come back, and the horses are heading over to the pasture, and there's the wheelbarrow looking at me. Yeah. Right? So I think, okay, well, you know, I'll just, I'll just do a little bit around the back. I, I always just try to set the bar low yeah. because otherwise it's overwhelming if I think I've got to pick it all up. No, just get started. And that's my number one go-to. I always say, if I was going to do this, what would I do? Okay, I can do that. I'll just get started. And then the magic happens, and it's truly magical when you go from – living in your head with all those negative emotions to just doing a little bit. 
it's I guess that's almost inertia, right? You just got to get going. Yeah, there's so much truth in that, but so much of it is just in our heads. Yeah, we're, you know, we play these terrible games. I early, early on in my research in this, and this is back in the '90s. My students and I, before smartphones were even on campuses, we put pagers on all these students and we paged them throughout the day. And certainly early in the week when they had something to do and they weren't doing it, they'd say, oh, I work better under pressure or I'll feel more like doing it tomorrow. And the great thing about following up through the week, it was that finally we get to a point where they're actually doing what they said they were supposed to do. And now none of them were saying, well, I'm so glad I waited till the last minute because I worked better right. under pressure. That didn't happen. Instead, they said, like, this isn't as bad as I thought. In fact, what we saw was a statistically significant difference in their ratings of difficulty and stress. Now, it didn't mean it wasn't a little stressful and it wasn't difficult, just it wasn't the monster they created at the beginning of the week that sort of paralyzed them. And so that's what happens when we just get started. We realize this isn't as bad as I thought. And the other thing that other researchers have shown us is that progress on a goal fuels our well-being. It's an upward spiral. Oh, really? So just getting started starts to fuel that magic thing. And that's why that notion of priming a pump is so appropriate. Just a little bit of water in the pump is necessary to get the pump to have some pull. Yeah. And I didn't didn't realize, though, that it really, I mean, just any progress on it tends to, I guess, create a sense of maybe well-being. Again, I mean, you feel better. Absolutely. And that's why, you know, a a very big task, you're not necessarily going to finish it today, but you find a way into it. Uh, I, I really don't like writing letters of reference. It's my common example because they're high stakes for the students I'm writing for or for employees, and they're very difficult for me because I have to find the right words and I mm-hmm. have to make sure that I'm writing to the right audience. And so it's something for me to I, I'll just get this negative feeling about, oh, i got to write that letter of reference. And I'll say, okay, I'm not going to write that letter of reference, but if I was going to, what would I do first? Well, I have to open up the email from the student and see who it's for. Oh, open up the email and read that. I could do that. And you see where that's going. Yeah, now, yeah. now I'm actually on task, even though I didn't say I was going to do it. So I read it and I say, okay, now if I was going to write this letter, but I don't really want to, what would be the next step? Well, I just have to open a blank, blank piece of letterhead and copy and paste that address for the university over there. Oh, I can do that. I can do that. Yeah. And, and you know what? That's so true. Uh, David Allen, who's written the wonderful books amongst many, you know, Getting Things Done, he captures it so well when he says, what's the next action? Because we don't do projects, we do actions. Right. So I always ask myself, what's the next action? And that's, you know, that's the bottom line for us. And then what that does, though, is it takes me out of all that rumination, all those right. negative thoughts I'm having. We just get, we get stewing in our own juices, and of course we want to escape that, and we escape it by putting it off. Mm. And that's where procrastination has a lot in common with, say, gambling or overeating. One day you'll realize you know, I'm not eating the second row of cookies because I'm hungry. <laughs> I'm eating these because there's something else going on here. And it's the same with procrastination. The something else that's going on there is I'm trying to find a way to cope with all these negative feelings. Well, one of the ways to cope with all those negative feelings is just let them go. Like they're, they're just there and they're alive and well in us and we're not going to, it's like stopping to think, trying to stop to thinking about a white ele- elephant. You don't do that. You can't repress it. You just got to Look past it. Let it go and go on in spite of that. And you can do that by just asking yourself the question like, and getting into an action. Yes. Just get doing something. I mean, the, I mean, the minute you're doing an action, your brain probably starts thinking different thoughts to manage the action. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. And you, and you stop thinking. Sometimes that's the most important. Oh, yeah. That's true, huh? Right. You're you're into doing and not thinking. So a lot of us will put off doing health behaviors. Like, so you've bought a new exercise machine of some sort, whether it be in a stationary bicycle or an elliptical trainer, and there it sits. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of money on it, and it's starting to collect dust. And it's because you look at it and go, oh, I don't have the energy. I don't feel like it. As if you're supposed to feel like right. it. This whole notion of, and, and the thing is, no, I'm just going to go stand. <laughs> the elliptical I'm just going to stand there, and I'm going to start moving my legs. Just set the threshold low. Now, the, the irrational thing, the crazy thing about people is that, like, 10 minutes later, I think I'm an Olympic athlete. Right? Yeah, that's right. I am incredible. <laughs> I'm into it. And, and that's, but that's the great thing. I mean, the magic happens when you lower the threshold and you say, no, I just have to get started here. I don't have to think about sweating or working out till I throw up, or I don't have to think about having to do five workouts this week. Just right now, I'm just going to stand on the machine and move my legs. And <laughs> so much of our lives, we need that. And, you know, there's an old Buddhist story of the monk who's seeking enlightenment, the novice, and he goes to the master and he says, Master, I've been doing all the meditation, but what do I need to do to achieve nirvana, to achieve my enlightenment? And he looks at him kind of incredulously and says, have you finished eating your rice? And he said, yes. Then, then wash your bowl. <laughs> and, and what I love about that is that it kind of goes right back to the mundane of what David Allen's saying, is that what's the next action? Yeah. And, and when you put those two together, the light bulb really goes on is that, and that really gets to life, isn't it? Like, yeah. we're, we're temporarily, the only thing that you and I are going to run out of is time. The only non-renewable resource we have in our lives are t- is time. And then what's the next thing I have to do? Like, that's, that's the enlightenment. That's the wisdom. That's, this is your life, man. What is it the next thing in front of you? And do it and don't make more of it than that. And oh. I, I, find that, I find that so um, uplifting at one level and freeing. You yeah, know, freeing. It really is freeing. You know, when I come in from doing my chores, it, there's a sense of wholeness that that's what I was supposed to do. Yeah. Isn't that... And and again, it's such – I love simplicity on the far side of complexity. Like I yeah. love it when you finally get to that thing. It really is – it's just what will you do now? What's the next act? What's – and, oh, oh, and yeah. we, we could, we, a lot of us get consumed in action that isn't meaningful too, right? So you're not, you're not saying you're, – you're saying get to the next meaningful act. Yes. Or, and actually, or, or necessary act. Necessary act, or even just any act related to the thing that I have to do. Yeah, that, yeah, that matters to you. Yeah, yeah, because you, yeah. But uh, like, don't like, don't that. go get into. I don't know. Don't go. Just keep watching another segment of Netflix. Oh, well, there's a the bottomless pit for you. In fact, talk about you, that. Why? Why is it the last thirty years that we're falling more into procrastination? I'm assuming it's Netflix. We've got to blame well, someone. It's all of our technology, our yeah. handheld devices. You know, uh, when we used to get bored, we attend attend to something. And then it would get boring too, but mm-hmm. you know, there, there's nothing like the internet. To it's a bottomless pit of <laughs> one click to another, and you start you start with really saying, "Well, okay, I'm going to work on this, but it'll only take me a minute to check my email." Now the problem with that is that a minute later we face the same decision, and then three hours later we wonder why it is we're watching cat videos again. <laughs> right? And and the, the reason was is that we never really made the decision to leave our work. We said it'll only take me a minute to update my Facebook status. That's true. Or to send out one tweet. But then you say, it'll only take me a minute to see what so-and-so has done. Oh, it'll only take me a minute to check that link that so-and-so has sent. Mm-hmm. And now you don't even know where you are. You're, the other thing about the Internet is that it has no spatial 
uh, locators for you. You know, you, you just get lost in it. So having these devices is really difficult for us. And to the point now we know we're killing each other on the roads because we think we're multitasking. We can't put the thing down. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's, we are um, endangering our attention that way. And uh, the bad news is we do have to shut it off. The first thing we need to do often to get other things done is to reduce the distractions. And that's such an unpalatable thing to say to people. Oh, totally. No, yeah. yeah. And, and I, it's I'm hard. I'm reaching for my phone before I realize I'm reaching for my phone. No, exactly. Yeah, and, and, so. it's, and it's so it's just so habitual. Like, it's, we think once we have a free space, grab the phone. Yes. Grab or even phone. if we don't have a free space. Yeah, right? that's true. Make it. We, we, we've, we've, it, um, it gives us an immediate pleasurable response. I liked what you said a few minutes ago, Matt, about how uh, something so complex can uh, be so simple. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, we could talk about procrastination from a neuroscientific perspective, although the neuroscience is far from complete. We could start talking about how the limbic system of the brain is the oldest evolutionary part, and it's all about feeling, and we have these quick feelings, and then we have this new evolutionary part of the brain called the prefrontal cortex, and that's the planful organizational part. And just this week in science, actually, there's a journal article showing that there might be a, a gene that's being expressed that's changing the pruning of the synapses in the prefrontal cortex that might lead to schizophrenia. There's there's this really complex story about what makes us human, but the way you and I experience it is, I don't want to. Mm -hmm. I don't feel like it. I don't feel like it. And it really does go back to the three-year-old or the four-year-old. It absolutely does. And in my house, that's why it's hard to be the son or daughter of Dr. Procrastination. (laughs) I look at my son or my daughter and say, I didn't ask you how you felt or what you want to do. My dad said that, and he wasn't even a Ph.D., (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because I think we all, it's just, it's that wisdom. That's why I think you resonated to that. Like, I like it when it gets down to simple truth. It's so true. You how you, what you feel like. It's time to pick up the That's food. right. Just get moving. Yeah, try to go, to, time to shovel out the, the barn. Yeah. Uh, we're speaking with Dr. Tim Pitchell. Tim, let's take a break, come back. I want you to get into your book, um, Solving the Procrastination Puzzle. Keep sure. giving us some tools for how we, we kind of chunk it down and, and make life you know, get over the feeling of it all and get into, let's just do what we need to do. Um, it's interesting. It sounds almost antithetical to a healthy life, but it really is about getting moving and getting stuff um, that matters to us accomplished. Stick with us, folks. We'll continue the discussion after the break. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Don't wake me. I plan on sleeping in. Now, that's the deal. If you're going to plan it, then you're just delivering on your plan of sleeping in. But if you pretend like you're going to get up and go feed the horses, like Dr. Tim Pitchell's teaching us, then guess what? You're probably procrastinating if you're now going to plan on sleeping in. Joining us is Dr. Tim Pitchell, and um, he's the author of the book, Solving the Procrastination Puzzle. He joins us now from a chilly, frigid Ottawa, Canada. Dr. Tim, welcome back to the show, my friend. Thanks very much, Matt. I really, uh, I love your expertise in this. And I love, I mean, you're making it simple and it's human nature. And um, you started the show uh, last break about the fact that it's a value. If, If we have a value, you use your value system, you said, to make these hard decisions. Mm-hmm. And 
So one of the things I keep, I guess, running into with this idea of procrastinating is it's it's almost – I don't know what you call it. But it seems like some of us are procrastinating doing important things and um, we're actually not being – we're not even acting. We're not being busy um, in life. And some of us are actually seeming busy and active but we're still not doing important things. Yeah, we can't admit to ourselves that we're not doing the important things. I remember last year I was walking across campus and a colleague from another department came up to me around 5 p.m. I was just heading to the parking lot and he said, Tim, you've got to tell me what's wrong with me. I've been busy all day doing stuff, but there's one thing that's, that's due today and I still haven't done it and I'll be up till midnight now. Why did I do that to myself? Yeah. And so here's a very accomplished person and yet he fell prey to that. I'll be busy, but he, he was still doing the avoidance. And that's because he wouldn't break the ice on just getting started on that really important task. He was dodging it emotionally. So that's all. We're always going to have to come back to that in this conversation that procrastination is an emotion-focused coping strategy. It's not about time management. It's about getting past our reluctance, our, re- our own internal resistance to it. Hmm. Yeah, so we can appear really busy. But that busyness can be just a big scam to keep us away from the task we're really supposed to be doing. It's... Uh, an emotion-focused coping strategy. Yeah. And so your problem isn't the task. Your problem is the barrier of your aversion yeah. to the task. Yeah, your, your thoughts about feelings about that task. That, and th- those are often non-conscious, like you're having these, this emotional response that happens really quickly. Even just the thought of the task makes you cringe. Yeah. I, I've, I've met people from all walks of life having done this for so long, whether it be lawyers or judges or salespeople, but salespeople in particular, you know, might be the cold call. Yeah, make the call, really. make the call. And, and they'll say, yeah, I'm just avoiding that. And I'll say, okay, so how are we going to set it up so you get started? And, and, you know, earlier on we talked about the fact that things can be really complex, but we keep them simple. Uh, behind a lot of this is science and theory, so we can talk about event segmentation theory, where we cognitively have lots of scripts about how things unfold, like even about how, what we do when we have a shower, what we do when right. we brush our teeth. And so for a long time I wasn't uh, flossing my teeth. I'd brush my teeth all the time, and I had my bedtime routine for brushing my teeth, but I couldn't seem to stick flossing in there. And the same sorts of principles of how I got to start flossing my teeth can then be applied to someone making a cold call. And so I set myself up to floss my teeth by making this pre-commitment, something called an implementation intention, because you wanted to talk about strategies. Yeah. So this implementation intention, this pre-commitment is that it's a simple thing. It's a sentence we can all encode right now, when then or if then. So when I pull out my toothpaste, because I always did that, that was a habit, then I will put the floss on the counter. Mm. When I put down my toothbrush, then I will pick up the floss. You know, yeah. it sounds so silly and simple, but it was life-changing. But do you write a script like that? I mean, do you really like think through your morning routine and say, when I hang my towel up, then I will whatever? Well, that's interesting, you know, and this is where it gets complex in the research because one of the best papers on event segmentation theory talked about the shower script and that sometimes it's not best to insert things like toothbrushing into your shower script. It just doesn't fit. They don't jive. It might not even be hygienic. It might be unhealthy. It gets nuanced. Yeah. But you you could, and one of the reasons for that, again, the the science shows is that people with better prospective memories, people who can remember things better, don't need signs. But some of us need to put a little sticky note Mm -hmm. up. My daughter, for example, I really wanted her to learn to type because she struggles with um, language. She's a really bright kid, but 
language, and she don't get along. It's not her forte, so, yeah. So I'm 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 jacking up the the rewards, and she I know she wants a, an iPhone. She hasn't ever had an iDevice. Said I'm happy to buy you one, but you have to be able to touch type. Oh, Dad, I can't do it. I'll fail because she feels that way yeah. all the time. I, I said. If you just come home every day from school in 20 minutes, do this program, in a couple months you'll be touch typing. But I won't even remember this is the issue. So I said, and what she's going to face today, it's funny you raise this today, when she comes home, she's going to see a sign on the closet door, she's <laughs> going to see a sign in the kitchen that says, Laurel, go do your 20 minutes. Yeah. And so some of us do need that sticky note. But I want to go back to the issue both of the salesman and the cold calls and me flossing my teeth. So I'm picking up, now I'm putting down my toothbrush and I've made this pre-commitment. I'm picking up the floss, but don't think for a minute I want to. I, I'm got, already I'm coming up with a million excuses. I don't feel like it right. tonight. I'll just skip tonight. You know, it, I'll feel more like it tomorrow. Like, these habits are hard. Like, we have this, uh, this uh, immediate visceral response to, I don't want to do it. It took me months, and now I can't imagine not going to bed without flossing my teeth. You know, finally, hmm. it's become the prepotent response. So anybody that's struggling with some part of their lives, that it may be that aversive cold call, you have to set it up around some routine you already have going for you. And then, and then stick it in there. Yeah. You're just picking up the phone and dialing the, the one number. So, yeah, these are the tricks that uh, Peter Galwitzer from New York University has done an extensive amount of work on this notion of implementation intention. Yeah. Shown in numerous studies that just making this pre-commitment of when then putting the stimulus for action out in the environment is a game changer too. If, it's, it's, if you're committed. Well, yeah. And, and, but it also, what's I think fascinating about this is the, you, it's a, this is a process of becoming a stronger human. You're every one of these tasks, it's just flossing your teeth for heaven's sakes, mm-hmm. but you've made a commitment and, and you've actually, and you're keeping it. And now and you've a bit, I guess, habituated it. You've, it's, it's now you. Yeah, and that and isn't that true? That's what the existentialists argue that we are what we do. Yeah, you know, we're always facing these choices. Am I going to be the guy who watches ten more episodes on Netflix, or am I the guy that's just going to go and do yoga for twenty minutes, or go for the run, or whatever it is that we think that that we're striving for in our lives? Hmm. You know? And we can choose to sit still, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's funny that when you said, you know choosing to stay in bed. There's many mornings when choosing to stay in bed is the right thing. Right. We're up, up late last night uh, for work or because your kids were sick. Well, the sleeping in makes perfect sense. It's when you don't get out of bed when the alarm's going off and that your intention was to get up that now what's going on here? Why are you becoming your own worst enemy? This... I, I heard just this week on the radio there's a new alarm clock that you can't shut it off until you stand on the carpet. <laughs> and you have to stand on the carpet for three seconds. Holy cow. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it works, I guess. I guess so. But, you know, the old version of that was the same notion of the pre-commitment of you realize you keep hitting the snooze button, so you put the alarm across the room. Right, right, exactly. So there isn't a snooze button within reach. Now, again, that pre-commitment requires some action, and then you get uh, the secondary procrastination. You know, yeah. The second-order procrastination is I procrastinate putting the clock across the room. So we can continue to be our own worst enemy even when we know these things. Oh, do you, um, in a weird way too, it seems like this parallels other uh, theory, like about, even about anxiety. Um, a lot of us uh, that have anxiety, we, the feeling, we think the feeling matters mm. and we believe the feeling more than the logic behind it or what else we know. So we end up talking about everything 
like our teachers that are stupid that don't understand us and they always give us too much homework instead of getting down to the root cause of the anxiety. Yeah, and then and when we realize that anxiety, we poke at that a little bit, and that's what we can do in a good therapeutic relationship. And I'd always encourage people to consider that if you're bothered by your anxiety or some of your irrational fears, and certainly procrastination can result from fear of failure that's quite irrational, is you have to poke at some of those and say, what would be the worst thing if? And then you realize that it's, it's, you're making it up. Mm-hmm. Right? It's not real. And that's really the back end of the power of getting started. That's what we learned in that research earlier, that students say, gee, when I got started on this, it wasn't nearly as bad as I thought it would be. Right. And that's often the case. We make these things bigger in our own minds. But some of us, that's where we need to start, because we spend a lot of time ruminating and making these very negative places for ourselves. And so there's a therapy called uh, acceptance commitment therapists who work very much on that, about how to accept the negative emotions and pain in your life, but still move forward, even though, yeah, that's alive and well in your brain. It's not going away, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it, that's kind of ingrained there now. And if you think you're going to get rid of it in a couple of days, it's not going to happen. But can you learn to live with it and, and move past it? Absolutely. Is, is, where does willpower play into this? And, well, and is that, I mean, I know there's some interesting research on willpower, but mm-hmm. what, what, I mean, that's really all you're saying when you're going to go make a pre-commitment, it's, I guess, you're engaging will. To some extent, but then you've got to watch about how often you draw on willpower, because the best research we have by Roy Baumeister and Diane Tice and others out of Florida State and all their colleagues is that it's a bit of a limited resource. We can exhaust it pretty quickly. And so when you're going to use it, use it strategically. That kind of comes back to Mark Twain's famous statement, if your job is to eat a frog, then eat it first thing in the morning. It's going to get harder. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, and even, uh, so Mark Twain on the one hand, and we got Viktor Frankl, the Mm. famous Viennese psychiatrist on the other, who spent time in a Nazi concentration camp. He said the same thing, that, you know, I've learned to do the difficult things first and get them out of the way. So that came from, in life, learning that, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to have the energy at the end of the day. I'm, I'm going to be worn out. And psychologically, we call that no more willpower, but we just feel it as a lack of energy. Mm. So we do have to use it. Willpower, you asked the question of how does it come in? Well, we have some. It's a limited resource. We have to use it strategically. Um, to go back to Mark Twain's uh, quote, if you know, if you have a job is eat a frog, eat it first thing in the morning. If your job is two frogs, eat the biggest one first. <laughs> and I think most of us feel that way about our lives sometimes. Okay, right. On my desk are a whole bunch of frogs. <laughs> yeah. Now I better start with the biggest one because once I got that one down, the rest are going to seem easy. That's so true. What, what, is, what of this is about personality? Well, like, I mean, some people, I just know, I have people in my life that they eat dirt just because it's good for them. And I, I sit there and I'm a little more free flow. That's the story I tell. But um, in the end, is, is, is some of this just personality? Some people just are always going to be on time. Or is it, is it changeable, I guess? Well, personality is kind of what's bred in the bone. And so it's changeable to a point. We can act out of character. But for those of us who are not very conscientious, that means we're not very dutiful by nature or organized. And this is a major personality trait that 50% is heritable. Like hmm. genetics show us that, yep, a lot of this comes from mom and dad. It's, it's not easy to change. It's, it's our go-to sort of way of being in the world. We have to lay strategies on top of it. And we can act out of character, but that takes a bit of willpower in itself. So absolutely, some of us are 
set up to fail in terms of if I'm very anxious and neurotic, and that, I mean that in a personality sense, yeah. it doesn't mean the, the movie sense of neurotic, but that you're prone to depression and worry. If you're not very conscientious and you're impulsive, and then maybe you've internalized a lot of negative expectations from other people, oh, there's just the perfect storm yeah. for the procrastinator. So absolutely, many of us are set up to have some inherent weaknesses, but think of any aspect of your life. So you're in a certain sport. You don't have every attribute that necessarily that makes you the best candidate for that sport. You work around it. So yeah, there's there's things there that um, can work against us, and other things that can work in our favor. And that's when we think, okay, I'm going to lean on this strategically. Like I'm going to leverage that part of my life because I know this part of my life is a relative weakness. And so for some people, it would be, gee, if I want to stop procrastinating or, or do less of it, I've got to become more organized. For another right. person, it wouldn't be organization at all. It would, I have to learn to count to 10 because I'm so impulsive. Like as soon as something comes up, I'm gone. And <laughs> so the, the implementation intention becomes if someone asks me out tonight, if or when, when they ask me out, then I'm going to say, I'll tell you in 10 minutes. Because mm. now I'm learning to harness that strategy of implementation intentions around a predisposition to be impulsive. So you can still lay on these strategies, but you're right, Matt. Some of us are prone to procrastinate. And again, but that also can become our great story, <laughs> right? It can, or our great excuse. Our great excuse is a better word for it, isn't it? No, oh, it's yeah, so true. Yeah. Well, Dr. Tim, for, oh, read, go ahead. No, go talk about your blog. Yeah, I read a blog for psychology today, and, and two posts ago I wrote about this notion of uh, I am so lazy. What does it mean to say that? And sometimes that can just be a terrible excuse. You just you're saying that I am this, so therefore I'm excused from all the rest of the things. And it's an inauthentic way of being in the world, is yeah. what I argue. So if those of you who want to talk about personality as being an excuse, you might want to look at that. Uh, yeah, that's a great article. And and again, your blog, um, your your website. What's the best way to get to Procrastination Research Group? Well, just procrastination.ca. So you talked about me being up here in the Great White North. Yeah. So if you just remember, .ca, .ca not .com, procrastination.ca. Well, we appreciate you, Dr. Timothy A. Pitchell. Go check out that website. Um, it really, you're you're a gem, Tim. And every time I talk to you, I feel like I've got hope, and I'm jacked up. That's good. But it's, so now, now that's the and. Now I got to go do something. Go start acting. Or you always do, Matt. It's always a dance. It is a so dance, I, isn't I enjoy it? talking with you very much, too. Thanks, Tim. We'll have you back again. And uh, go look him up, too, on Psychology Today. He's, he's everywhere, folks. Oh, and the book, Solving the Procrastination Puzzle. Those are the solutions, those tips that he's been giving us. They're in those books as well, and or in that book as well. And on his blogs, he's, he's very abundant in giving the answers and the tools that people need. We're going to take a break, folks. If, uh, if you feel like you you, you got to get doing something, start thinking about it. What, uh, what, what could you do? Think of the hard thing you got to get done today. If you were going to do that one hard thing, how would you get started? Just go, just go do that. Go do that. We'll take a break, folks. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Man, I love talking with Dr. Tim Pitchell. It really, uh, everybody, we've all got it, don't we? And then we, we use our stories 
and we use our history and our personalities as excuses on why we procrastinate. But as he taught us, what it really might just simply come down to is make the commitment to to get to break the barrier, break that barrier by acting. What's the next act? What's the next activity, the next action that we need to take? There's so many things um, that we procrastinate, and yet one of his great points was simply the idea that in the end, the only thing you're going to run out of is time. And, you know, you see it. Having just been to a funeral of someone near and dear, you realize, yeah, you don't you don't want to delay and procrastinate the growing of your most important things, the most important relationships to you. Um, and yet, you know, there's also part of our jobs. We love our jobs. They're they're wonderful and yet hard and sometimes not always as motivating. And we may not love it all the time. Um, so we procrastinate. And then we feel bad. And then that imagine just what that does and how that conjures up other problems for us or fears. So just do what you can today. What's the one thing you know you need to go get done today? Think about it in your head and then ask yourself, okay, so if you were going to get started on that right when you can in a few minutes, um, what's the first thing you do? Well, I'd have to find that phone number. Great. Let's start working on that phone number. Then when you finish that, just ask, what's the next thing you should do? Well, I probably ought to call it. It doesn't have to be, you know, brain surgery, folks. But again, go check out the great uh, work by Dr. Timothy Pitchell. And and one of my favorite sources uh, is Psychology Today. What a great resource it is where you can go read all of his articles. Um, And we can all just grow together. We'll take a break, folks. Come back next hour. More ideas to help you find the good in the world. Next hour, we'll be talking about how to be a leader at home and how it affects the rest of your life. Leadership in your home life, folks. That's up next. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on this side. This is the show, folks, where we give you the tools to live longer, love stronger, and lead a healthier, happier life. Today, we're talking leadership at home. How many times have you seen somebody's kids at like the store and you think, oh, man, these kids. It's always somebody else's kids. It's always somebody else's kids. The funny thing is, I wonder if anybody's ever said that about your kids. Nope. My kid's great. <laughs> Look, I've met your kid. No, we, we were – he's he's pretty good now. Yeah. But, well, uh, you've trained him up. Early on, when he started to act up, it was pretty common that you were grocery shopping, yeah. whatever, I just took the kid and left. Mom continued what she was doing. I just took the kid and took him out of the situation. And you took him to the car. What did you, you do? We just talked. We'd hang out. You'd talk with a three-year-old? Or we go walk around or just whatever. Yeah. You ever talk to a three-year-old? Did you ever see uh, our parenting tool? 
We have a really cool parenting tool that we're trying to market now. Taze it. There's these things called laws. Good point. You can only go so far. You can't tase your kids. No. And that's good. But you can shot, you can put a shot collar on your dog, but you can't put one on your kid. How do you know? I've asked. <laughs> tase it. See, you can't just tase your kids into a healthy lifestyle. Nope. The more you tase them, the less healthy they you get. You have to lead by example, and you have to help them understand. It's so much more difficult. If but you it's could better. Just... That's what we're learning about today. Yeah. John G. Miller will be joining us. He is the author of the book QBQ. I love barbecue, by the way. I don't know why that what, came when into I, my mind. When I saw the title of his book, I'm like, barbecue? Is this the right guy? QBQ are... stands oh, QBQ. for the question behind the question. Okay. But he's going to teach us that leadership and accountability, it begins at home. Hmm. Those blasted kids that just keep meddling into everyone else's business, those kids have parents. And those parents may not have instilled the accountability they need to. Hmm. You can't use a taser. So instead, no. let's just use QBQ, question behind the question. Pretty interesting theory we'll get into in just a few minutes about uh, leadership and accountability. Um, you know, these kids nowadays, though, they don't even know how to drive a stick shift. Really? Like, uh, well, I don't. Do you, not, you don't know how to? No. No, you're kidding me. No. Everything I've ever driven was an automatic. Holy cow. And, Benjamin, uh, do you know how to? Yes. I got into driver's ed yeah. in high school. And uh, I, I either I got there late or because the teacher was the uh, football coach, I somehow ended up in the Yugo. That oh, was, yeah. It was a stick. It was a manual transmission. And, and it was the day we were learning how to parallel park with a stick. I mean, give me a break. Like that, that's just... It's already complicated enough trying to figure out how to parallel park. Now I have to do it with a manual transmission where I don't oh, even know how man. to do it. I was grinding gears. The coach is looking at me like I'm going to destroy the clutch. And I go, you put me in this thing. Your image in my mind has diminished. So then he moved me out of that and put me into the massive 70s era Oldsmobile boat. Oh, yeah. That had no power steering. Those were the days. I lo- my first cars I ever stole were what? sticks. What? Not stole. I mean, they were, like my, they grand, were my grand theft. They were my family's car, but no permission. I borrowed it with no permission. With no permission, so at you stole it. Mm-hmm. Okay. They were all stick. I learned to steal cars with a stick. Huh. But apparently, it's an art that's been lost on yes. these younger generations. Some Pittsburgh carjackers run away from a stick shift vehicle. Pittsburgh police are searching for two would-be carjackers who apparently can't drive a stick shift. Police have been looking for the pair since Tuesday night when one of them tapped on a 28-year-old driver's side window with a gun. Hello. The two ordered the man out of his car and demanded money. When the victim said he had none, they demanded his cell phone and car keys. Police spokeswoman Emily Schaefer says the victim told the suspect uh, the car had a manual transmission and they decided they didn't want it and they ran away. So maybe the best deterrent for carjacking is manual transmission. So instead of a car alarm or Uh some expensive anti-theft device. Put a manual in there. Interesting. I'm telling you, I I would right now go buy in a new car, depending on the car, a manual transmission. This is the show where we give you the information you need. Like that. Okay. Sometimes you just need to know that I'd go buy a manual transmission. It's, I feel like I have more power in making my car 
do what I want it to do. All right. You know. Anyway. I don't know. Yeah, my, I think I think what it came down to is my father did not have the patience mm-hmm. and did not want to have to uh, pay the repair bills for trying to uh, teach my mother and then all yeah. the kids coming after how to drive a manual transmission. So he just, you know, there was automatics. That was all we had. It was fine. Man, those are the days. Ben even knows how to do it. Ben knows how to drive a manual transmission well, and doesn't – Ben doesn't even have a car. He grew up on a pineapple plantation. No, he really didn't. <laughs> he just visited one oh, once. Okay. The Dole plant. I always get these the things confused. The other kids in eighth grade. It's tough trying to keep that big cargo truck in line with the <laughs> pineapple. Know. That's why I, I could don't know what to say to that. <laughs> I'm going to be an 18-wheeler. I'm going to be an 18-wheeler. Is that how many wheels are on a truck? Occasionally. I'm going to be a cross-country truck driver. Why is that? Because I know how to drive a manual. You're just going to. It's probably all automatic now. You're going to sit and just drive mm-hmm. hundreds and hundreds. Listen of to miles. books on tape. I'd listen to the Matt Townsend show if I was a truck driver. Right. There's 600 episodes plus. Six what, plus. I bet like 6:30. Really? Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Every day I listen to the show. Go, oh, I go right to my office. I'll listen to my show again. I did the show, then I listened to my show. Not yesterday. Then on my way home, I like to listen to my show again. Do you also look at yourself in the mirror while you listen to your Mm -hmm. show? Totally weird when you're you're driving. You're like, wow, you did a great job today. And then I do a lot of positive affirmations. Okay. You nailed it, Matt. (laughs) Top of the morning, Matt. (laughs) You're good enough. You're smart enough. (laughs) You guys are so rude. I guess that's why I have the show. Because we're rude? Yeah. All right. Um, yeah. Speaking of shows, uh, Donald Trump's not going to play in the show tonight. According to reports. He's a debate buster. He's blowing up the GOP debate. What do you think the chances that he changes his mind about an hour before they start? Because they're all there. No, I think, I I don't think he will. He, He can't. Because remember, many people have questioned, can he even, can he ever apologize? Has he? He'd have to humble himself in order to come, and so um, I, I actually asked how everybody feels about Mr. Trump not being there. And All right. This is the sad comment. Huh. Did, did you see? He went on Twitter to ask his people, his fans, if he should not do the debate. Did you see the results? No, I never saw the result. I knew they the all, poll about. All of his fans, like I think it was like 55 to 45% thought he should do the debate. Huh. So his, the mere fact he's not doing the debate, he's going against his own poll, his own people. Interesting. They want him to debate. <sighs> he's not going to do it. And I think your theory is right. He's afraid of – is he avoiding? He's, I don't think he's afraid. I think he's just avoiding Ted Cruz. He's he could you know he's just going to try to run out the clock. He thinks he's got a little lead there and in Iowa, and he's just going to run out the clock. A little four. Don't insult me to my face. Now Ted Cruz has uh, put up the idea of just a one-on-one Ted Cruz versus Trump debate on the thirty-first. Yeah. Do you think that would ever happen? On the thirty-first. How? When does? When is the next? Uh, Election. When is New Hampshire? The 9th. Iowa is February 1st. No, that'll never happen. The 9th, I believe, is New Hampshire. Never happened. 
and then there's like four more, three more contests, four more Nevada, yeah. South Carolina, all in no, all in February. It's crazy. That'll never happen. So no one on one, face to face. And I personally think the GOP. I'm not sure the GOP would want that. Well, it would be unsanctioned. Well, it would be it, yeah. It's like an unsanctioned fight. But then you're not going to get the belt. You're not going to win the belt. <laughs> the belt. The Intercontinental <laughs> Championship will not be decided. I don't think it'll happen because I really think they Trump kind of wants to run this out. Yeah. But this is all kind of I think it's an illusion. Because in the end, in Iowa, it's not about being popular. You gotta be present. They uh, want you in their town uh-huh. eating their loose meat sandwich. Yes, which sounds horrible. <laughs> I mean, eating a loose meat sandwich in ninety nine counties. And talk and being pro ethanol. Mm-hmm. But it's it's a really weird deal because I have a feeling that Theodore Cruz is going to have a better ground game. But I have but he's also already been dissed by the governor. He has. So that's got to impact you. But then Cruz, I don't I mean uh, Trump, I don't think will have as good of a ground game. Just cuz I don't that takes a whole different kind of politic. Yeah. Than he that he's seems to think he's above. And Trump's been relying on these big mass gatherings. Yeah. Instead of most of the candidates are going to small gatherings in individual right. towns, so I'm even not like, sure. Even how Rand that works Paul, out. he'll just go to a gathering of one. Yeah, <laughs> there's one guy. How are you? So it's. I think it's going to be interesting. But Bernie um, Sanders. Yeah, he has proposed three more debates. I know that will be a sad rejection when that comes down. Yeah, and everyone goes. Nah, I think we're good. We're good. Haven't we done enough? We've done like three. We've done like one and two forums. Yeah. <laughs> These forums are awesome. No yeah. one talks to anyone else. Just la, come la, out. La, and... la, 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 la. Did you see Martin O'Malley out there and the whoever the guy from CNN no. looks at him and goes, so when you drop out of the race, who are you going to support? Oh, <laughs> that is mad. You have no chance at winning the presidency. I think people are overlooking him because recently he went up one percentage point in the polls. He's he up to 3% now. He did. And people scoff. <laughs> But if you can go up one point, that shows something. Right. From two to three. I mean, tell me Al Gore wouldn't want a point right now. Al Gore? Sure. I mean, back in too the soon. Too soon. Really? Yeah. It's been a while. It's been like 10 years. What? Yeah. I, I'm years? sure he still harbors bad feelings about yeah, that. It might be too soon. Yeah, he's flying around in but his jet. But it's a point. It's just a point. <sighs> Okay. Uh, anyway, anything else going on around the world we need to know about, Terry? Uh, speaking of Donald Trump, as we were talking about, he uh, will he release re- details Wednesday afternoon about the special event he's holding as counter-programming to the debate, which is tonight on Fox News. Instead of attending the debate, his campaign will host a benefit for veteran organizations at the 775-seat Sheslow Auditorium at Drake University in Iowa. Sounds fantastic. It's in Des Moines. It'll be at uh, 8 p.m. Central Time, same time as the debate. Tickets are free. Campaign clearly uh, did not clarify how the event will raise funds for veterans groups if they're not charging at the door. But, uh, you know, details. Uh, Senator Cruz on Trump not attending the debate. Apparently, Megyn Kelly is really, really scary. And, you know, Donald is a fragile soul. If she asks him mean questions, I mean, his hair might stand on end. And he went on. 
Lots of people laughing. You know, it was great. <laughs> uh, the majority of Americans think Hillary Clinton is going to win the presidential election in November, according to ABC Washington Post poll. Assuming Clinton is going up against Donald Trump in the general, general election, 54% of Americans said they expect Clinton to win the poll. Also reports among uh, registered voters who tend to be more Republican-leaning, Clinton has a 52% support. Mm. So Clinton is also being tra- seen trouncing uh, Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio by larger margins than she's expected to be Trump by. Bernie Sanders is also expected to perform well against the GOP, although Americans are less certain he could beat Trump. So you know Bernie what? wouldn't beat Trump, but he'd take care of everybody else. Think of where we were six months ago and where we are now. Those will not be the same numbers. No. In any way, shape, or form. They could be worse. They could be better. Yeah. Or they could be non-existent. They could be non-existent. The FBI is – this was from last night. I, I, I checked in with our Oregon public broadcasting website who has yeah. been really on top of the Oregon militant right. occupation right. of that wildlife refuge. They, they reported that the FBI, FBI was in active negotiations with militants inside the compound to bring closure to the standoff. Law enforcement officials said some militants have left already, but they will not be able to not be able to confirm who those militants were at this time. Three occupiers were arrested Wednesday, so I'm thinking what happened is they negotiated. Five people left the, the refuge overnight. Three they were they were detained. Two of them let go. Three were arrested for whatever you know the the charges they have against them. Yeah, uh, they will. And then this all with Ammon Bundy saying from jail, calling for the remaining members to give it up, go home, let us deal with this in the courts. Y'all got to ski daddle. Hit the road, people. That's it. You got to break her down. Found this funny and an ice, not really funny, but odd. An ISIS supporting Australian teenager was arrested last April on terrorism charges for allegedly planning to pack a kangaroo full of bombs and let it loose on police. Ah, uh, the old kangaroo. That's crazy. Like Pack load the pouch up with with bombs and then send it after police. What well, poor kangaroo? What did the, it ever do to this guy? I don't know. The New York Daily News reports that this 19-year-old had pledged his allegiance to ISIS, although it's not yet clear if he was in touch with the actual terrorist organization. According to reports, he planned to strap bombs onto the kangaroo, paint it with the ISIS logo, and <laughs> set it on police. Sick him. Sick him, boy. God, this thing's getting crazy. Uh, all sorority activities at Duke University have been suspended after a new pledge was hospitalized from drinking Tuesday night. Oh, boy. The individual is in critical condition at the moment, and the situation is being investigated. School officials announced that if there is an emergency meeting uh, and to discuss the situation and future policies when it comes to sororities and the mm. different things they do. And a point of news, especially important for you, Matt. Yes. One of NBC's most popular TV series of the 70s and early 80s is leaving the Midwest and heading for Hollywood. What? Paramount Pictures will be adapting Little House on the Prairie for the big screen. Oh. <laughs> that was great. I thought you were talking about, like... I don't know chips. In other in other news, Conan the Barbarian, a remake uh-huh. of that movie, is looking for a director, and rumors have Tom Cruise in talks for Top Gun too. Man, you know what? I love Conan. Um, Conan's late night show. Different Conan. Is it? This, this that's Conan. This is Conan. Yeah, Conan the Barbarian. Different, different comedian. Person, yeah, redhead. Not a comedian. Big hair. It was Schwarzenegger Skinny. in the movies. Okay. Now it's a different guy. So they're making another Conan. Conan. Conan the Barbarian. And Top yeah. Gun 2. Jerry, wow. Jerry Bruckheimer is going to blow stuff up. That's cool. Good, good so news. So are you excited? Little House on the Prairie? Little Laura yeah. Ingalls? Yeah, and- no, I can hardly. Once the show's done, I'm just going to go 
Google that all up and down. Go find out when Little House is going to be back. Ah, oh, folks, uh, interesting stuff. We're going to take a break. When we come back, John G. Miller will be joining us. He's the author of the book QBQ, The Question Behind the Question, about practicing personal accountability at work and in life. He'll also be talking about how to do it as a parent. How do we lead at home and uh, create more accountable children? Interesting topic. Stick with us, folks. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, so much that happens at our house with our children impacts their lives going forward, right? And uh, we always sit around and you hear, you know, people like, oh, what's happening with these kids today? Well, these kids are yours, right? And they're your grandchildren. They're, uh, the reality is, at some point, we've got to do better at instilling some leadership, maybe... Uh, accountability. So we wanted to bring on an expert who could help us with this. John G. Miller is the founder of QBQ Inc. and the author of the parenting book, uh, Parenting the QBQ Way, How to Be an Outstanding Parent and Raise Great Kids Using the Power of Personal Accountability. This is a concept he's been teaching in corporate America for years, and now he's bringing it into the parenting world. Uh, John G. Miller, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Matt, I'm glad to be here. Thank you so much. You bet. I love this topic. Um, man, we've, we, we tend to blame our kids for just being, I don't know, kids, I guess. But <laughs> the reality is we, we're the parents, right? It, it's how we create and teach accountability that's going to matter in the long run. Completely. The, the real key to this material, and I've been teaching this QBQ, the question behind the question material, Matt, in the corporate world for two decades. And of course, 80% of my audience is our parents, and they've been saying, you know, we, we want to use this at home, but could you put it into a format that helps us tie it to the home world? So we wrote Parenting the QBQ Way. But the reason I mention that is everything we do here at QBQ Inc. out of Denver, Colorado, is personal accountability. So when it comes to mom and dad, it's like, hey, maybe we should look in the mirror and own something. And that yeah. is own our kids' behaviors, own the way they're growing and developing, own the mistakes they make, not, not when they're 25, but, you know, we've got to be able to say this. My child is a product of my parenting, period. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's not Hollywood. It's not Obama. It's not Bush before him. It's not your local congressman. It's not your know, schools and churches. Is it my in-laws? It's not my in-laws. Oh, <laughs> my child is a product of my parenting. That is a pure statement of accountability. And, you know, as we teach this material, you'll find parents that will object to that. But wait a minute. What about the schools? But wait a minute. Okay, you can always find excuses for something, but the minute we do that, we've gone down that path of blame. Let's stay focused on accountability. No, I love this. And again, if the parent won't accept their own accountability for their child's for their parenting of their children, then then why should the child accept it? That's true. See, in the book, we talk about modeling is the most powerful of all teachers. Now, we all know that, but that's a phrase that's in the QBQ book, which is our business side, and then the parenting, the QBQ way book, which is the parenting side. And whether I'm a manager at work, Matt, or I'm a mom or dad at home, modeling is the most powerful of all teachers. This is not new. None of this is new. But the problem, what we see in society today 
is parenting that's kind of gotten off track. Now, we've raised seven kids. We have five grandkids, and we have two grandkids on the way. We're a very productive crowd yeah. over here in Denver, Colorado, Matt. <laughs> and I've got to tell you, we've seen a swing in parenting toward a very, very, what we might call, and I'm sorry if this offends anybody, weak parenting, W-E-A-K, weak parenting. And basically what we're saying is some of the parents today who grew up in the 80s watching the TV show Charles in Charge, now they have families where the child, the child is in charge. Mm-hmm. We cannot have families when the child, where the child is in charge. The child does not want to be the boss. So what does that mean? That means parents need to learn new skills, take back their families, set boundaries, help their kids make good choices, be firm, no means no, yes means yes. I could go on forever. But that's what parenting the QBQ way is all about. Now, explain to us what QBQ stands for. What is, what is the question behind the question? For, for a decade, I sold leadership and management training, Matt, and I sat in sessions with really good people, but I was hearing a pattern. Here's the pattern. Lousy questions like, why do we have to go through all this change? When is that department going to do its job right? Why can't we find good people? Who made the mistake? And I remember listening to these questions in these management training sessions thinking, there's got to be a better question here. So one day I coined the phrase, the only phrase I've ever coined, the question behind the question, and I went out and started teaching, hey, let's not ask, when is someone going to train me? Let's turn it around and ask the question behind the question, the QBQ, which would sound more like, how can I develop myself? Hmm. What can I do today to learn new skills instead of blaming my company, blaming my boss, whining, playing victim, being entitled? So I started teaching the QBQ 21 years ago, back in 1995, and that's all we do at the QBQ Inc. company now. We sell training, we sell books, and we do speaking all about the question behind the question, helping people get away from victim thinking, procrastination, and blame, and start taking personal accountability, owning my life. It's just a better path. Mm. And you talk about... Uh, I guess there's myths about accountability, like we like like that. That's a myth thinking it's outside yep. of me than thinking I'm the one responsible for it. Well, there's two myths of accountability we find all the time. Number one is we think it's a group thing, and here's the problem. Here's the reason, especially in the business world, we've been so trained on teamwork, we've lost sight of the individual, and that the power of one is amazing. What one person can do as they interact with a customer, it's amazing. It's outstanding what that one person can do. Who says no? No. Blame, no, no whining, no victim thinking. I will solve the problem. I will serve the customer. Personal accountability is a me thing, not a team thing. And the second myth around accountability is we think it's something I hold others to. And this is the trap managers fall into, and this is the trap parents fall into. Because people uh, see our Parenting the QBQ Way book, Moms and Dads, you know what they tell us? They say, Oh, perfect. I needed a book for my 12 year old. <laughs> no, Mom, Dad, the book is not for you. I mean, excuse me. It's not it, is for you, huh? it is for you, huh? Yeah. It's for you. It's for the to say, what can I do to learn new skills? See, that ties right into a major theme in the book. Parenting is a learned skill. I love stating the obvious because it's not so obvious. People are reaching out on Facebook. You've got millennial moms and dads reaching out on Facebook for ideas and knowledge. Oh my gosh, why don't you go to some parents who have done well and sit at their feet and learn? That's so true. Ask questions. They, they weren't perfect, but ask, what would you do? Stop reaching out on Facebook and having the blind lead the blind. Parenting is a learned skill. There are certain methodologies and techniques and processes we can use in the home that just make a difference instead of winging it. And we just see a lot of parents, they're just winging it, and then the child ends up in charge, and then we wonder, what went wrong? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the problem with the blame game, huh? Because it, it actually, the minute I'm no longer responsible then for at least 
my part in the game. I don't need to be responsible for everything, but no. my part, then and if, if I'm not paying attention to that, then I'm going to keep waiting for years for the parenting bus to show up. See, this, right, this is what happens if, with parents who are frustrated. Why doesn't my daughter treat me more respectfully? Well, that's a bad question. Maybe the better question, the QBQ, would be, what can I do to better understand her? How can I set firm boundaries when she does disrespect me? I mean, maybe I'm enabling her, Matt. Can yeah. you imagine? Right. Or how about this? When is my teenage son going to open up and share? Well, wait a minute. That's a, that's a question that points at him. How about asking, what can I do to get to know him better, et cetera? How can I spend more time with him? There's always a question behind the question, Matt. There's always a QBQ. In the end, we must ask what we call the ultimate QBQ, which is how can I let go of what I can't control? Now, that is a life-changing question. How can oh, I let sure. go of what I can't control? But up until that point... We need to say, wait a minute, um, my, son is not, excuse me, my son is not doing this, or my daughter is doing this, or my toddler is doing that, or my 8-year-old is not doing that. What can I do? Bring it back to self and say, okay, what can I do differently to solve this problem? How can I learn or acquire a new skill to help my 12-year-old do his math homework? Yeah. And in other words, the more we're blaming, the more we're whining, the more we're procrastinating, we are not solving the problem. Right, and we're modeling for our children whining, procrastinating, you know, blaming, excuse-making. I knew you'd you'd be the sharpest host I've ever talked to, Matt. Well, thank you very much. (laughs) Thank you very much, John. (laughs) You are right on target because here, number one, we're doing this bad stuff. Then number two, we're teaching it to them. Mm -hmm. So, Like QBQ uh, Facebook page, the other day I posted, you know, as you went off to work on Monday morning, did you model joy? Or did you, did you teach your kids to hate Mondays? Yeah, drudgery, right. Did you teach your child to hate Mondays? It's a long life, Matt, if you're going to hate Mondays and wait for hump day. Oh, so modeling is everything. It's so true. Is it, is it um, I guess when we think about the, the empowerment, I mean, this is really about accountability, making sure that our children are going to understand that they're forces in their life. They're actors. They're here to act not be acted upon. Um, what are some of the principles you teach to, to kind of instill that? Well, from the gut level up, we need to help our kids resist the temptation to be offended and resist the temptation to be entitled. This is what we're doing as parents, Matt. We're building. We are absolutely building little adults, little children into adults, and don't we want them to someday be kids who are not easy, adults who are not easily offended, they're not entitled, they do learn to earn, they do work hard, they do contribute. So at a young age, we need to teach them, okay, your teacher's not perfect, stop playing victim. We need to teach them, okay, the coach said this or that, but I don't accept excuses at home. We're not going to make excuses at home. We've got to, through our behaviors as a mom or dad, as we interact with our child, say no victim thinking. Hmm. No excuse making. We're not entitled. We do work for a living. We do not play victim. All these things. We do uh, not get offended so easily that now we're a college kid in 2016 and we need to have a safe space where I can go and not hear any offensive words or comments or statements or be offended in some way. I'm not a cream puff. I'm going to be strong. You know, Matt, the Bible teaches we need to be uh, in the world, not of the world. The world is very much of blame. The world is very much of whining and victim thinking. I just don't want to go there. Yeah. And I need to help my kids. And my kids are ages 33 down to 17. And we're always trying to model that, hey, 
let's stay out of the victim mode. Let's not be entitled. Let's learn to earn. Let's work for a living, et cetera. We could go on and on about what we want to teach our kids. It all begins at home. But the, And it seems like even if, uh, even if you are being victimized, like being bullied at school, teaching your child to still exercise their accountability where they can is, is more sure. empowering than just playing the victim. Well, bullying is a whole different subject, but absolutely, and here's the real question to that, Matt. Here's a real issue, and it's, a, it's an issue you could spend a day on, and that is where does bullying really come from? It starts in the home. Right. Yeah. It starts in the meanness. <laughs> meanness starts at home. The only reason those children are bullying someone else is because they've probably been bullied at home. But that's not enough of a topic discussion for bullying. We could spend more time on that sometime. Does, anyway. Talk about your wife. I mean, you have seven kids, beautiful family, and um, is your wife, like, what does she think? What does she do to to rein John in? And, and does she, because I always kind of get, if I, sometimes if I'm too strong with the kids, oh, um, yeah. then my wife's going to back me down to be softer. And and how, what part of the game does she play in, in your co-parenting with this QBQ? Method. Sure. I'll answer that question a little differently. Going back, our first child was born in 83. We can still remember laying awake at night in 90, when we had four kids at that time, talking about the day, talking about what the kids did or didn't do, talking about what we did or didn't do. Matt, we are not perfect, but for some reason, 25 years ago, we really focused on the child and us and the interactions between us and what we could have done differently and what the child could do differently. There was a lot of learning going on. We read books. We had marital counseling that we needed. So we've grown together in this journey of accountability at home. And so now today, you know, I'm 57. My wife is mid-50s. Never want to say the full age, of course. Yeah, right. Not of a lady. Yeah. And, And we have two teens at home. So we're still interacting with kids in the home, and so one day my wife's a little harder on them than I am. The next day I'm a little harder mm. than she is. We kind of ebb and flow. We make yeah. a very good team after all these years. That's great. I mean, and I think that's what you need, right? We, and we need to be able to fail and still be there for each other. As husbands and wives? Yeah. Sure, certainly. I make mistakes. She makes mistakes. I think one of the funniest parts of the Parenting the QBQ Way book, though, is when she writes, Johnny has never had an opinion he didn't share out loud. Yeah. Oh, interesting. So, yeah. The reason I mention that is I, she's very good at letting me know, John, you're talking too much. John, you're externally processing too much. John, you're driving me crazy. <laughs> John, go down to your home office down in the basement. Please get out of here. Get out of here, John. <laughs> so after 36 years, we can really speak to each other pretty candidly. Well, but, and think about that, though, too, that how many couples, again, don't necessarily feel like they can, that they're accountable. They, they'd rather be a victim of their spouse's personality instead of sure. say something. And it's easy to write incompatibility on a legal document and go get a divorce. Right. My wife and I are extremely different. She's a feeler. I'm a thinker. She's about emotions. I'm about logic. It's not a gender thing. It's just the way we were designed. Yeah. We are so different. Every decision we make, Matt, she considers, how is it going to impact other people? Every decision we make, I kind of just consider, how is it going to impact me or Karen and me? So we view decision-making different. We, we view our days different. We just, I'm about logic. She's about emotion. We don't match up very well, Matt. We could have years ago said incompatible and gotten a divorce, but we don't believe in divorce. And so we're together. We love each other and we have wonderful children. Oh, that's powerful. And again, you've, you've been able to take the, the accountability advice and, and actually model it again. I, that's what I think is the key to the parenting process is the kids are watching they're paying attention, and if you're going to use excuses, so will they. 
Well, one of my favorite lines is, you know, I might gripe about something, but then I'll pause and say, you know what? I'm not a victim. Mm. I'm not a victim. What am I going to do now? And the kids have heard Karen, or the kids have heard Karen and me say those kinds of statements over the years. We've, I'm nothing if I don't use my own content, but I'm human. So are there days I want to blame and whine? You bet there are. But I do have this tool called QBQ that we can come back to, and that's the power of what we teach. It's not a motivational speech. It's a practical way of practicing personal accountability, and that's why we've been in business over 20 years. That's cool. And helping businesses as well as parents. As we wrap this up, John, what would you say uh, is the one thing that, that – that any parent could kind of walk away with today? What's the one thing that is the fastest way to introduce accountable, you know, accountability to your children? You bet. My child is a product of my parenting. And there's a period at the end of that statement. It's not their friends. It's not their friends' parents. It's not your their cousins. It's not the schools. It's not the politicians. It's not Hollywood. My child is a product of my parenting. See, until we accept that truth, we will find ways to blame. We will find excuse-making, excuses for our children, children's behavior. Until I say no, they are a complete and total product of the way I've raised them, we will never advance in our accountability. Mm. Awesome stuff. John G. Miller and uh, your wife, Karen G. Miller, appreciate you, uh, John, doing this. And again, sure. everybody, go check out the website, qbq.com. It can't be easier than that, can it, John? <laughs> QBQ. QBQ.com, you're right. Appreciate it. Thanks, John, and have a great, uh, have a great time and a great, uh, great you know, launch of these books. And uh, he's been out at 20 years, folks, 20 years improving um, accountability. And, and we think about it. We hear about it in the news. We hear all the stories of people that just feel like everyone else is to blame. If you're tired of everyone else being to blame for every other problem in the world, then let's start at home. And that question or that statement, my child is a product of my parenting, period. You are the majority force in your child's life. And um, make sure you're playing that role. We'll take a break, my friends. Come back to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's going to be up on their show at the top of the hour. Stick with us. We're almost done, but having fun. We'll be right back. back everybody just jack johnson you can almost just feel yourself just swaying in the wind in a nice hammock between two palms but instead we're going to shoot it down to our good buddies at byu sports nation hello gentlemen what's going on how are you boys good just eating some string cheese oh string cheese a staple of childhood we, we had an it's idea. It's a staple of my adulthood as well. I know. We had an idea with string cheese, so, so it comes like in this, you know, rack of 10 or 12 yeah. or whatever. If if you're looking for a, a like a cheap Chewbacca costume, you, you, like the ammo that he wears, whatever, you just get a bunch of string cheese and you like... It's a great, like over your shoulder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah your yeah. bullets, Great you idea. Yeah. Oh, man. That's all we got. Or, hey, we're doing the show. It's going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> That's all you got? That's all we so got that's, a, hey, that's it. Chewbacca and his <laughs> ammo props. Yeah. You guys. That was our best idea from this morning. You know, that didn't seem very rich. Or compelling. 
which is or compelling. Both of those are the the two mottos of our show: compelling and rich. We didn't steal that from any movie. No, you didn't. Anchorman at all? No, no. Original thought here. Rich. Original thought here. Hey, um, you guys, I've been thinking about you. Why? Um, you always you seem nervous. Like I'm going to bring up something weird. <laughs> when have I? That never no, happens. No, 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 no. That, that never, that's never happened. That's never happened. I'm not bringing today. I really have nothing weird for you. Wait, now I'm uncomfortable. Now all I need to know is this: Are you guys mad that Donald Trump's not going to be in the debate tonight? No, I mean, it because seems like he's you guys are raising money for veterans or something, right? Well, yeah, but he's running for president. Seems Wait, like he's still be doing there. that. Why? <laughs> this I thought that was a joke. Oh no, no, no! I wrote it in my diary. No, he's Donald Trump is running for president. That's hilarious. Jeremy, did you not know he's actually leading in the polls? I know he's killing it. I know. Didn't and he say something absurd the other day, like he could shoot somebody and still win? Oh yeah. <laughs> but now, now it's, oh, it's gotten worse. He, <laughs> That's you, quite the statement. You just had the <laughs> you understatement. Say that the other day? Yeah, I that was weird too. Oh come on! But he, he's, he's now he's mad at Megyn Kelly, the host of. Um, uh, in uh, Fox News, she's the big anchor, and he's mad at her. He's afraid of color big like that. Yeah, I mean she's the lead anchor. Oh, not big, petite lead anchor. (sighs) So I'm worried that you know, uh, do I watch the BYU Loyola game tonight? Yes, it's it's at nine Mountain. It's late. You can Uh, watch both. I know that's the problem. I really only want to watch the BYU Loyola game. You're up early. Oh, I am. I don't. I am. I'm up way early. Dude, my we'll just give you the recap. So Don't even worry about it. And you know what else they say about my people? The polls. They say, I have the most loyal people. Did you ever see that? Where I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and I wouldn't lose any voters, okay? It's like incredible. Well, he'd lose one. <laughs> yes, just by just, pure why technicalities. Is, I mean, why is the... I just take laugh, the bullet, you've lost Murder it. is not funny. No, but they, they thought that was hilarious. I could shoot somebody in the middle of Fifth Avenue and not lose a vote. <laughs> <laughs> buildings you guys see Uh, so you're i uh, i want to only watch the byu game but it's too late so it's past my bedtime yeah it's super late so tell me what i'm gonna miss uh because it it was close but it was a 10 point game but it was closer than it seemed it's an interesting matchup because they have this dude named Autumn Jacko who is a JC transfer and he's really good. Really, I mean, he was excellent against BYU in LA. Uh, Autumn think, Jacko, Wacko yeah. Jacko and Dot from Animaniacs. Yep. <laughs> uh, BYU's back home. They they have a huge, a great sense of urgency. Yeah. Uh, associated with the last ten games, and I think that BYU will play well tonight. They'll win, and then Saturday is a really big game with the Pepperdine team that's beat. Beating mm-hmm. BYU four of the last five games. Mm. That's how I think it shakes out. Am I overlooking LMU? Two degree, yes. But it was a close game down in LA. BYU's just not played that well on the road this year. Yeah. But at home, they've been really good. Eight no. Man. Well, can they carry it forward? That's what we will find out. Yeah. Look at you teasing sports. <sighs> I know. I think I pulled something. I pulled okay? my back out on that one. Hey, by the way, I just wanted to say thanks. Uh, my wife said, hey, did you know that it's National Chocolate Cake Day? Mm. And I was like, duh. Duh, hello. Matt Townsend told me this morning. Do you know what today is? No, what is it? It is Kazoo Day. Okay, it's Kazoo Day. Why do we not have a kazoo on the set? I know. Because I can't believe it either. Kazoo's stink. And it's also Blueberry Pancake Day. Now we're talking. Okay. Mm. And National right, uh, Fun at Work Day, which every is every day, day for you every, guys. Yeah, yeah. Pretty much. Day. 
Well, there's like this one day in like July where it's not as fun. But other than that. Hey, right. um, I don't know, Spence, I don't know if Jerem told you, but I was out, uh, out and about yesterday in the building talking to the big cheese. Mm-hmm. <laughs> The big cheese, Derek Marquis. The suits. Oh yeah, we call them the suits. You called him the big cheese. <laughs> and uh, okay. and I'll and and Jerem walked by me, and I gave him I I, I gave him some skin. Mm-hmm. That's all. That, that, that anything happened? No, that's it. <laughs> Did Derek say, "Wow, no, you but, really stooped to a new low, man"? No, but Jerem looked totally <laughs> afraid of the big cheese. You look terrified, no, Jerem. No, no. You I'm, were. I've worked here for 10 years. No, you averted your head. You They're tipped it down. You put your hoodie on. Oh, I just wanted to not interrupt. <laughs> I wanted to be polite. You're nice. But I had to walk through the middle of I don't know if he was trying you. to avert Derek Marquis or you. I yeah. Know. Well, oh, <laughs> good point. Who's he more <laughs> don't, afraid don't, don't make of? eye contact. Good don't one. make eye contact. Jerome! <laughs> Hi, Derek! <laughs> oh, hey, man. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point, though. Okay, well, I'm just, um, happy, I'm just happy to be here. I know you are. This internship has been amazing. I mean, seriously, uh, it's <laughs> super cool. It's going to be what? sad when it ends, though. Isn't it ending in spring? My favorite question ever: going out on the road, whatever. Oh, so when do you graduate? <laughs> I know, I love it. It happens all the time. I, know I used to I used to be bothered by it like a while ago. Yeah, I, I think you've graduated what eight years ago, and I graduated yeah. six years ago. Yep. Uh, no, seven and nine. Can I just tell you that I used uh, to have that yeah, same question. Years. People ask me that all the time. Now, do you know what they say? They don't say that. Now they're like, "Ooh, how old are you? You look swollen." <laughs> you're planting they're like, "Are you retaining water? <laughs> are you on?" You look hobbled. <laughs> you look weathered. <laughs> huh? Why do you swing your leg that way? Yeah. Just weird stuff like that. No, I, yeah, it used to bug me. Now I'm like, "Oh, sweet, I look younger." Good. Yeah, no, it's really good. You do. I'm not you, sure how to take that sometimes. Is I'm this like, a full time job for you? Uh, yeah. <laughs> does it does it, it seem like we're college students to the point like you guys yeah, do like look college, young? Is this like a yes. college level product? Well, no. The the product is top notch. Don't get me wrong. I mean, it easily easily okay. could someday play on local television. Oh my no. gosh. <laughs> I mean, easily. No, no really. I Look would be a downgrade. You're, you know, honestly, your quality is very high. It's just you guys look so young. Yeah. And then no, I, I also it. I also think it's those really tight shirts that you wear with your little belly button hanging out. That, uh, that doesn't for help. Jaren, not for me. Yeah, I'm talking about Jaren. Okay. Talk about J-Dog. The big cheese said the midriff. <laughs> or drift. Drift? drift? I think it's a drift. Drift. Is turkey for me, turkey for you. Oh, so you're doing the last yesterday's song. Yes. Hey, um, you guys still doing your show today? We are. What's uh, what uh, what are we going to be doing on the show? Obviously, game day in Provo tonight. Late night hoops. Game day. Dave Rose has made it very clear that he wants his team to do one specific thing tonight. We will tell you what that is and why it makes such a big difference I'm gonna, for the Cougars when I'm they gonna do say that. Win. They're going to say. I think he's going to say win. Nope. Okay. Good guess though. Good Jump. guess. Rebound. We also have okay. ESPN's Roxy Bernstein with us. He's going to call the game for ESPNU tonight. Uh, he'll join cool. us in Studio B. Steve Kafusi, the defensive line coach at BYU Football, joining us in his busy schedule to talk about recruiting, his mm. son Corbin playing basketball, and his son Bronson 
getting ready for the NFL draft. Any mm. updates us on? You remember the six foot seven, four hundred ten pound guy that BYU signed, Malungi, last year? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sunday, that he updates us on how he's doing and has he gained or lost weight on his mission in Phoenix? Well, he shouldn't be gaining weight. Mm. Well, tune in. To he's four hundred and whatever pa- gaining he was weight. Four ten. Would... He was four ten when they signed him. Oh, so that's we'll find just... out. The answer was interesting. Oh my god, <laughs> that's a great tease right there. Is there a picture? Do they have pictures? Uh, there are, I, th- I believe, like 18 pictures he's, he's surfacing. Like, he's like on Sasquatch. The yeah. Like a picture comes out from someone, you know, in Phoenix, and I'll, I'll quote the tweet and I'll say, the 23rd picture of Mo Longy has surfaced. <laughs> like he's this just, you know, crazy. Longy you know, watch. Yeah. You know he what? He comes back in a year. You know what would be a great idea for him is if he had um, a bunch of string cheeses, you know, like that he could put across his chest. Yeah, he's so it looks like BYU's Amul- Chewbacca. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing, guys. We haven't heard him speak. <laughs> well, we really haven't. We have no idea. Yeah, we it's kind of like that. Like, does Steve Capucci understand him? He's Han Solo, you know. This? Mm. Yeah, you guys, that's another great show. We're ro- we're locked and loaded, ready to go. Locked and loaded. Okay, uh, guys, make it a Thanks great so- one. Remember who you are and uh, return with honor. We will never shoot our fans on Fifth Avenue. That's right. Thank you. <laughs> oh, my God. Thank you very much. <laughs> what the heck? We're going to uh, say goodbye to the team that will never shoot a fan. <laughs> because they, you know, they can't get away I with it. I can promise you that. You guys are sense. great. Have a great show. Thank you. Knock right. them dead. Two Corinthians, right? Two Corinthians, 317. That's the whole ball game. Absolutely. Uh, we, sometimes we like to just have a little devotional in the middle of the show. A little Two Corinthians. From the man that also claims he can shoot a, shoot one of his people, and nobody cares because they love him so much. Loyal, loyal fans. Ah, good stuff. Okay, happy Kazoo Day. Uh, interesting thing, we could not find a kazoo anywhere in the show. That's actually we couldn't even find a virtual kazoo. Not even a virtual kazoo exists. That's it's how cold, dark world. That's why they still celebrate Kazoo Day. Hey, did you hear about uh, Deborah Hessenius's house? She hasn't had a good night's sleep since the bats invaded her apartment. She's, it's a trap. She's found the flying rodents in her bedroom, living room, and walls. I sleep with the lights on, she said. I'm afraid they're going to come and land on me. She says that she's especially concerned because a bat tested positive for rabies. Holy cow. Can you imagine living in an apartment full of bats and knowing that one of them or more has rabies? Anyway, city's animal control in Houston is on uh, trying to do what they can to help her out. She says she can hear the flying creatures in her walls at night. Ugh. She also says she hasn't had a good night's sleep since they invaded her home. I hear squeaking and scratching. It's bad. Sounds like there's 20 to 30 in there. I'm going to bet there's more. I mean, there a certain percentage of bats are very introverted. And they may not want to be heard. So they squeak privately. I really hope she's listening to the show in particular. Oh, I'm sure she is. Why wouldn't she be? Why wouldn't she be? So if any of you have any ideas or solutions for how to deal with the bats, just uh, tweet it out at, uh, at Dr. Matt's show. Hmm. And, uh, you know, if you can do something to find us a kazoo, that'd be great too. 
Terry, what did you say? Oh, brother. This is Terry doing a little rendition. Terry happens to carry a kazoo in his back pocket. And he knew today was the big day. Hey, as we always like to, we're going to end the show on a hero story. Our hero today is Manveer Comer, Philadelphia convenience store clerk. Manveer Comer was working the overnight shift as a ga- at a gas station in eastern Philadelphia when a man and a woman walked in. Comer had a gut feeling that something was wrong. He says he knew that this uh, this is not a boyfriend, not a girlfriend. Security footage shows the suspect using the woman's credit card to buy cigarettes. As the two were leaving, Comer came uh, from behind the counter and physically put himself between the man and the woman, saying, you come behind my back. I help you. No problem. Comer confronted the suspect, then drove off in the woman's car. As it turns out, Comer's hunch had been right. Earlier that day, the man had carjacked the woman, a doctor in a parking garage, and the suspect had stolen the woman's cell phone, allowing authorities to easily track the man. He was arrested and charged with aggravated assault, kidnapping, carjacking, and robbery. Manveer Comer, you're the hero of the day, man. Way to be alert and pay attention. Probably, you know, saving a woman's life. Interesting stuff, folks. That's why we do the show, to help you see that there are good people out there. Let's take care of each other. Let's watch each other's backs. And until tomorrow, uh, we'll be back again tomorrow with more ideas and more information for you. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Take care. We'll talk again tomorrow.